Welcome back to We'll Shift Dust, a Silo TV podcast. Or for some of you, welcome for the first time. Uh, it's time to talk episode eight of Silo, Apple TV Plus's mystery box, where the box is shaped like an underground silo one mile deep, which Real Good this week named the number one show or film streaming right now. We are your hosts, Alicia Brenner, Silo series book lover extraordinaire, and... And Luke Middup, TV show fan, but have never read the books. And our resident political historian. And today we'll be diving deep into Hannah's history, the big bad Bernard, and all the other twists and turns and emotional moments of this episode. This is your official spoiler warning. We will be discussing episode eight of Silo and everything leading up to it, and I will be discussing the equivalent parts of the books. But don't worry, I won't be spoiling any of the twists and turns to come. We aren't watching ahead, and I want to make sure that Luke and any listeners at home who are new to the story experience all the reveals fresh in real time. And honestly, with the show building out the world of the books so much, I often don't know what's coming yet either. So Luke, uh, Real Good, um, a website that calls itself the most extensive streaming guide in the US and the UK, they named Silo this week's most popular streaming show, up for number two last week, with Into the Spider-Verse, Avatar, The Way of Water, From, and the D&D movie rounding out the top five. That's quite a list to top. Any surprises for you? It is. And no, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Because actually, one of the things that I've noticed whilst doing the podcast is that the word mouth around Silo has really built up on social media, on Reddit, on various message boards and stuff. So I think this, I think Silo has been a bit of a slow burn, but it's it's catching fire now. And um, obviously, I hope people who are new to the podcast go back and check out our previous episodes so they can see how unbelievably wrong I have been about (laughs) many things in this universe. And how much our sound quality has improved. And how much our sound quality has improved, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, quality catches fire, I guess, you know, Um, quality proves itself. Did you see Stephen King's been bigging up the show on Twitter this week as well? I did, I did. And also I saw just how happy that made Hugh Howie and it's like, oh! Well, I can imagine that must, I mean, you know, that's like one of, that's the godfather. That really is like the ultimate mark of quality, the ultimate seal of approval. Stephen King likes my thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and more good news, season two renewal. It's official, finally. We kind of already knew that this was happening, but now they're allowed to actually talk about it and it's in the presses and everything. Um, now, the question, of course, remains... When will this be released and will the writer's strike play a role? Um, Now they're filming in London, so they're not necessarily subject to the rules. But I do really hope that they're respecting the strike. Um, I, I, I really want like all of the guilds to strike together, force the studios and streamers to take them more seriously and to come to a quicker solution that protects creatives. Um, as a creative myself, I've seen how publishers and distributors have taken advantage of the changing norms with everything going digital and yeah, figuring out ways to pay creatives less for the same amount of work. And now we see many starting to over-rely on AI, which is built in the backs of the creators who are being screwed over by it, plus many real humans working minimum wage. And yeah, we've seen quality go down as a result of it. Like if you're a regular Googler, you might have noticed the quality of your results diminishing, for example. Now, yeah, I, of course, I understand there's always an interest in keeping costs down, Uh, from the studio side and the distributor side, but it's not fair that that's consistently put on the backs of the people who put in the most work into making something. And it's not fair also to the people at home who I'm sure many of which, most I hope, would choose to shift more of the profits in the direction of the below the line people, including the crew, in exchange for better quality. 
And to be honest, these people at home are the ones that are paying the studio salaries. Anyway, uh, slash rant over. Thank you, listeners and Luke, for hearing me out. No, I mean, I, abs- I absolutely agree with that. And if, if that means we have to wait a while longer for Silo Season 2, then so be it. Along with, you know, a whole host of other things that are in the pipeline, because I don't want my content written by ChatGPT. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I think the... I think the strike is is perfectly justified and just something that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, listeners at home, don't worry. If there is a long wait, this this feed's not going to be going dead. We do have plans for uh, more content in the future that will be of interest to fans of Silo and sci-fi in general. So we'll be keeping you posted on that as the season wraps up. Um, now, Luke, I guess it's time to get into the episode itself, wouldn't you say? Yes. And I have... I have really mixed thoughts on this episode. Um, So there is some stuff in it that I really, really like. And there is some stuff in it that I just got a problem with. And I think think that the things I like and the things I don't like can be separated into two buckets. I really like most of the character stuff. So I love the interaction between Sims and Gloria. I love Walker. I love Juliet and Billings. They're rapidly becoming my favorite pairing in the show. Yeah. The stuff I didn't like was more plot driven. Okay. In particular, like, I think it can be summed up in the sentence, the plumbers just aren't, sorry, not plumbers, janitors. Yeah. I went on White House plumbers there for a second. (laughs) Yeah, the, the janitors are just not very good at their job. Okay. Yeah, we'll go through it as we go through the individual scenes, but be better, janitors. Be better. Yeah, no, we're definitely going to break all that out and, you know, study it with a magnifier, just as if we're <laughs> Hannah Nichols, including, yeah, we also obviously got some uh, interesting feedback about people who have different feelings about some of the plot points. But overall, I, I think that a lot of people really like this episode. And I would say that I did, too. Um, I was just telling you off air that It's one, you know, I've been talking about the episodes that they were lining things up to, you know, start to get back in line with the reveals of the books. And this is an episode where a lot of these little book details fell into place. So we're going to get into that as well. Um, First, we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll get started. See you in a minute. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Your regularly scheduled breakdown will begin in three, two, one. And we're back. Just a slight content warning about this breakdown. We will be discussing miscarriage and there will be references to infant death and suicide. Um, I will give warnings before the latter, but if any of these are uncomfortable subjects for you, just please be aware. Uh, All right. Episode eight of Silo was titled Hannah, as in Hannah Nichols, Juliet's mom. It was written by Jeffrey Wang and Ingrid Escajeda. Uh, Ingrid was also the writer of episode three, Machines. So it's interesting. I've heard a few people call this their favorite episode since that one. Uh, She certainly seems to know how to write action. Uh, And Jeffrey Wang, he has worked his way up from production assistant to credited writer, penning and directing some shorts along the way like Lifeline and Grifter. 
Um, he presumably knows Ingrid from working on Justified, where he was a writer's assistant. Our director this week is Adam Bernstein, who was nominated for an Emmy for his work on Fargo and then actually won one for his work on 30 Rock. And he also directed a bunch of episodes of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, plus episodes from a lot of other prestige TV favorites. Uh, and I have to say, for me, the directing was really on point this week. Uh, last week, I complained a bit that it sometimes felt like some of the some of the characters were like acting in different shows. But this week, the acting felt cohesive and, and honestly masterful at points. And the roller coaster of emotional beats was well balanced for me. So that's a sign of strong directing backed up by strong writing. So overall, I would say I was pretty pleased. Um, now, Luke, speaking of masterful acting, I need to get your top level take on the Bernard reveal. Oh, going straight to the end. We got to address the elephant in the room, the Bernard offense. Yeah, the Bernard offense. I was like, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh my God. Well, hang on. What what she's been, what he's been doing with um, Juliet makes no sense. And then you watch it the second time around. And you realize that what Bernard and Sims have been doing the whole series is just a really extended good cop, bad cop yeah, uh, exactly. routine with Juliet to try and get her to confide to one of them about where the uh, where the hard drive is. And I, I, I love the, oh, fuck, how would I know anything about a hard drive? <laughs> Yeah, I, I love the way he catches himself. That's really good writing. Yeah, fuck me, he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and he just played that so well, like that that shift. Uh, I mean, I know, I think it works for most people. I, some people liked it less, but for me, yeah, that shift where he's just like, oh well, fuck me, I just gave away the game. Like, yeah. boom! It was such a big relief for book readers that this was finally revealed. Oh. <laughs> Because you thought you thought they might be going that far off book with Bernard. Well, yeah. So Tim Robbins has been so convincingly playing Juliet's ally that a lot of people were worried that Sims had like actually replaced Bernard's book role in the show, which would be like a much bigger change than any of the others we've discussed so far, with ramifications for the story going forward. So, but I I never really lost faith. Um, you know, I I backed off on expressing that he's maybe not the nicest guy, but. If you go back and watch Bernard through the previous episodes, there's been like this cloaked insidiousness to everything he says to Juliet the whole time, just like pure gaslighting. And yeah, Jean from the Lorehounds, he called it on our Discord after the last episode. He said he thought Bernard was playing 4D chess, and I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, it really is testimony to the strength of Tim Robbins' performance and the quality of the writing, because, uh, you know, I've gone back and forth on Bernard throughout the whole throughout the whole first season and even back into the preview episodes. And I think Bernard I was actually fairly convinced by the end of episode seven that he wasn't on Team Janitors, that he wasn't um that he wasn't the big bad. I wasn't convinced he was a, a good guy, but I thought he was playing his own game that was that was very separate from the janitors. And that's clearly that's clearly not the case. So I think, you know, massive props, um, particularly to Tim Robbins' performance, but also to the quality of the writing. The first time I watched the episode, I was actually really annoyed by that because I thought it undercut the role Bernard's been playing vis-a-vis -vis Juliet. And then when you watch it back and you're, you know the twist is coming, like I say, you realise that all of this has been a massive game of good cop, bad cop yeah. um, between Bernard and Sims. Yeah, I think this entire season is going to have a high rewatch value once all of the reveals are happen. Yeah. 
And the way it's done as well, like the way the way Tim Robbins changes his face in like a beat where he goes from, I think somebody put it on Twitter, he goes from like cinematic bad guy to just like stone cold psychopath. Right. The only other actor I can think who is as good at rearranging their face more or less instantly is Anthony Hopkins. Okay. He, ha- he has that thing of being able to just, from one line to the next, completely change the set of his face. So yeah. it completely changes his character. Well, these are two of our greatest actors of our lifetime. So Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and so uh, on our Juliet scale, who's on the other end now? Is it Bernard or Sims? We've got to come up with a portmanteau for Bernard and Sims. <laughs> Simsnard? Simsnard, yeah. <laughs> on the Juliet to Simsnard scale, got it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, after the episode six cliffhanger, I thought it was much more likely that it was Bernard that they were going to be waking up in the middle of the night than Sims. Um, in the book, Bernard and Sims, they work together, but Bernard does not share his secrets with him. Sims plays a much more important role in the show. So, uh, now I can also finally be a little bit more open about the book interpretations of Bernard and Billings and their relationship with Juliet. Okay. Uh, So, Luke, you asked me before to elaborate on the differences between book billings and show billings, uh, other than the fact that they changed his name from Peter to Paul, of course. And I said he was more assertive in the show, but now I can finally give some direct examples, um, which I'll I'll touch back on a few times this episode. And you'll see in the book, Bernard was always lurking nearby whenever Billings was there, Um, whereas show billings, he has much more of his own agency. So that makes him a much more sympathetic, likable and unpredictable character. So just to give you an example, we're going to step back for a moment to the first time Juliet meets Billings, which also happens in the book right after Marnes' death, but in a different way. From the beginning of the casting off section of Wool by Hugh Howey, told from Juliet's perspective, inside her office, she was surprised to find she had company. A stranger sat at Deputy Marnes' desk. He looked up from the computer and smiled at her. She was about to ask who he was when Bernard, she refused to think of him even as interim mayor, stepped out of the holding cell, a folder in hand, smiling at Juliet. How were the services, he asked, because in the book Bernard didn't even go to Marnes' funeral. Um, Juliet crossed the office and snatched the folder out of his hand. Please don't tamper with anything, she said. Tamper? Bernard laughed and adjusted his glasses. That's a closed case. I was going to take it back to my office and refile it. Juliet checked the folder and saw it was Holston's. You do know that you report to me, right? You were supposed to have at least glanced over the pact before John swore you in. I'll hold on to this. Thanks. Juliet left him by the open cell and went to her desk. She shoved the folder in the top drawer, checked that the data drive was still jutting out of her computer, and looked up at the guy across from her. And you are? He stood, and Deputy Marne's chair let out its customary squeak. Juliet tried to force herself not to think of it as his anymore. Peter Billings, ma'am. He held out his hand. Juliet accepted it. I was just sworn in myself. He pinched the corner of his star and held it away from its coveralls for her to see. Peter here was actually up for your job, Bernard said. Juliet wondered what he meant by that, or what the point was to even mention it. Did you need something, she asked Bernard. So, yeah, Luke, does that interaction feel different from the ones we've seen between Juliet and Bernard before this episode? Yeah, because like you say, at that, that point, Billings is being much more of Bernard's stooge. Right. Whereas there is elements of that in Billings' performance in the show. But like you say, he's much more assertive. He's a much more morally ambiguous character. And I think he has, with the syndrome as well, which is a 
an invention of the show. He has much more of a rounded backstory. Um, and the fact that he has the syndrome kind of bears on everything he's doing. Right. Um, particularly in this episode, because we find out that the stress of being a deputy is making the syndrome worse. Right, definitely. Yeah, yeah, the contention between Bernard and Jules is also it's just much more clear in the book. Um, and yeah, the Peter Billings of Wool is also of the lawful orientation, but so much meeker. And and he's kind of even a little mean-spirited at points. Um, Julia, she's surprised he would be in law enforcement. She thinks to himself, he's more of the IT type, which I guess is, you know, IT is, again, just like looks like the big bad from the beginning, even though not every person who works in there is, like Allison, of course. For example, I talked in episode six about the case that got thrown away during the book's forgiveness moratorium about the person who ate their neighbor's rat and then sued the family whose pet he ate for having an illegal pet in the first place. And when Billings hears this, he chuckles. Now, I don't know. I feel like show Billings would be too earnest to chuckle at someone eating someone else's pet. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think Billings would be appalled at that. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, the book shows Juliet as being a more diligent worker than Billings, which is definitely a change. So, like, she talks about keeping Billings in the office well past what Peter Billings considered sensible working hours. <laughs> and um, it shows, the book also shows her planning work for him to do the next day and putting her own sheriffing work before her investigation. That's, so, that's yeah. interesting because that's quite a big shift in Juliet's character. Why do you think they would do that? Um, I think probably just to keep the show more focused on the central plot of you know, who killed George, who killed Mons, who killed Mayor Johns. And, like, we had the incident in last week's episode to show the ordinary sort of tasks of law enforcement in the silo and to show the sort of building tension in the silo. But I think the TV show makes the wise decision that they're doing enough world building and building out sideways enough that they don't need to necessarily show the sort of nine to five tasks of being a, of being sheriff. Right. And also, and also, I think that might get confusing for a TV audience that, you know, if you're reading a book, if there's a confusing passage, you can go back and read it a couple of times until you've got the meaning of it. Whereas with a TV show, you kind of are moving. You have to move steadily forward. So you want to keep the plot as linear as you can while still building out the world. Yeah, I mean, I think having Juliet be more obsessed with the investigation definitely helps drive things forward in the show. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Uh, but the book, not to give you the idea that like book billings totally sucks because you do get some glimpses that, you know, he has some personality in there and left to their own devices, the two might actually be friends. For example, there's this exchange. Hey, Peter, Juliet says. He looks up from his keyboard. Yeah, you were in justice before this, right? Shadowing with the judge? He tilted his head to the side. No, I was a court assistant. I actually shadowed in the mid's deputy office until a few weeks ago. I wanted that job, but none came up, which is obviously different from the show, but it doesn't matter. Um, did you grow up there or the up top? Juliet asks. The mids. His hands fell away from his keyboard to his lap. He smiled. My dad was a plumber in hydroponics. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, my mom, she works in the nursery. Really? What's her name? Rebecca. She's one of the... Oh, I know her. She was shadowing when I was a kid. My father... Yeah, he works in the upper nursery. I, I know. I didn't want to say anything. Why not? Hey... If you're worried about me playing favorites, I'm guilty. You're my deputy now, and I'll have your back. No, no, it's not that. I just didn't want you to hold anything against me. I know you and your father don't. Juliet waved him off. He's still my father. We just grew apart. Tell your mom I said hi. I will. 
Peter smiled and bent over his keyboard. Um, so yeah, in the book, Billings' mom knew Juliet's parents. The show hasn't made this connection, and it probably shouldn't, since Juliet's mom already seems to know pretty much everybody else in the cast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the show's the show went with connections that are much more important to driving the show's plot forward, and I agree and have continued to be intrigued by them. He's more of an empty sketch in the book um, that he feels more of a plot device at some times, whereas, yeah, show Billings is a more fully realized character and, and a lot of people's favorites. He's definitely up there in my book. He, he might be my favorite. It's certainly between him and Martin's. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I have to go with Lucas and, and Juliet, of course. Um, but I've been really surprised by how much I've enjoyed side characters in this show, like uh, like Shirley or even Sandy. Um, Walker, of course, is uh, one of my babies. Yeah. She's like mama baby. Yeah, when I read the name Walker now, I picture Harriet Walter. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and in the book, Walker's a man. So they keep referring to him as a man. And I do. <laughs> and as soon as they say he, then the image I always had of Walker before that jumps into mine, which is like, quite a physically different looking person than Harriet Walter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But now that we've caught up a bit on the backstory, let's jump into the plot of episode eight itself. Uh, so the opening recap of last week's episode reminds us that what Bernard is most concerned with is the power of the servers falling into the hands of the wrong person. So you were skeptical last week that he was actually afraid of Meadows taking over the servers. Uh, knowing what you know now, who do you think he's really talking about when he says the wrong person? I don't think he's talking about anybody at this point. I think he's just trying to lure Juliet into sharing a confidence, particularly confidence about where that hard drive is, to get Juliet to try and give him more information about where she is in, the, in this case, in this relics investigation. that Bernard almost certainly knows isn't a relics investigation. It's an investigation into, into who killed Mons and Mayor Jones. So I think Bernard was probably making it up. So you don't think he actually has any such fears? Mm, no, I don't at this point. All right. I'm I'm going to I'm going to say that I definitely do. Okay. I definitely think that, you know, Bernard even though his villainry has been revealed, he still thinks that what he's doing is the most important thing in the silo. He definitely believes that. And I think that, yeah, he thinks what's on those servers is the most important thing in the silo. Um, oh, no, so the uh, oh, no, no, no. Sorry, just to clarify. I absolutely believe he thinks that the servers are the most important thing. I think what he was making up was the part about the threat um, from judicial to, to well, yeah, he knows, yeah. he knows it's not. But I'm saying, if if not judicial, you don't think there's anyone else he's no, afraid no, of. No, I, I don't think there's anybody else. I don't think there's any immediate threat to the servers. I think he was just making that part up to to try and get Juliet to um, confide in him. Okay, my interpretation is that he's just kind of like generally worried. He's, you know, generally worried. Like he doesn't think that anyone else can handle the responsibility that he talks about at the end of the episode with the servers and, and everything else that comes with his position. Um, so that's my interpretation. Um, but yeah, the episode itself begins, of course, with the character whose name is in the title. A flashback to Hannah Nichols, played by Sienna Guillory walking through a cornfield with her 13-year-old daughter, here played by Amelie Chilviaz. There, in the cornfield, for a clandestine meeting with a farmer called Mosley, Simon Armstrong, uh, about a rabbit. So she's there to see a man about a rabbit, which Hannah promises her daughter that she's not going to have to eat. 
And Mosley, he's not too happy that not only is Hannah late, but she's brought someone, even if it's her daughter. Hannah, she in return promises Juliet can keep a secret. So the bunny bartering begins and Hannah hands over a bottle of pills that shuts Mosley right up. But he warns her that he'll play stupid if she gets caught because he says the silo always wins. Um, Turns out this bunny has a heart defect, just like Juliet's brother, Jacob, who has passed away by this point in the storyline. Were you surprised, satisfied by that reveal about what was actually going on with Jacob? I thought it was interesting. Um, I did wonder, like, how long that farmer had had to wait to find a rabbit with a heart defect to be able to go ahead and make this trade. Also, does that mean that, that Hannah had been, like, raiding the dispensary in the hospital? Well, she was a surgeon, so I mean, yes, yeah. but she's, you know, she she has easy access to the drugs, but yeah, obviously okay. she kind of stole that. Okay, so so yeah, it was it was because like this is not the first piece of equipment or um, test subject she's had for this magnifier, so I wonder why it took judicial quite as long to get onto her case if she was if she was why do you say it's not the first step test well, subject be- because well not that maybe not the it might be the first test subject but it's not the first thing she's bartered because in the scene where judicial turn up later and break the magnifier um dr nichols daddy doctor is talking about all the stuff that porters have delivered bits of metal uh glass and oh stuff yeah and all i the... mean but that was all the stuff she used to build this yeah but i'm guessing i'm guessing quite a lot of that was traded off the the black market as well because i don't think this is the first time she's been to this particular sort of exchange the thing is that all of the individual parts in that machine are on their own legal it's only okay. the way she put them together that they become illegal okay okay that, that... but then but that that train of people delivering stuff you know can uh, that leaves a trail that she's putting something together. Yes. Who needs that many pairs of glasses and magnifying glasses? Or whatever. Yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah, and so, but it turns out, yeah, this this whole building the magnifier, this is how Hannah is coping with her son's death. She needs to be able to fix future holes and future hearts, starting with his bunny. And she needs this so she can feel like her son's death meant something. So she can feel like her own life means something. But to fix holes and hearts, she needs that magnifier. And uh, yeah, enter the machine that we've heard so much about, a clunky proto-microscope that stacks whatever lenses Hannah could find so that she can see smaller objects than is possible with just one lens. Uh, This machine has a magnification that definitely passes the threshold that's illegal in the pact. So Hannah is in full violation of the law. Breaking the law. Uh, Luke? We already discussed that you'd be all over the Pact competition if you lived in the Siloverse. Does that mean, um, do you think you would have built scientific instruments for experiments? Or Absolutely, absolutely not. There is a reason why I've got a job in the humanities and not the hard, <laughs> and not the hard sciences. If you want the engineer in the family, that's my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I used to fancy myself an inventor as a kid. So I, I think I would have terrified my silo parents. Like I can just see them running around, <laughs> running around the house, disassembling things that I built. <laughs> Though, to be honest, probably I was inspired a lot by like the fact that my father taught me how to build with Legos. So without mm. that, I wonder if I would have even thought of it. Though I yeah. guess like studies show curiosity is both nature and nurture. 
Do you think we should blame Hannah for her grown-up daughter's, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's, driven curiosity? Well, she's certainly one of the points this this episode gets across really well is that is that Juliet is definitely Hannah's daughter, right? More than more than she's more than she's Doctor Nichols. Although we um, see traces of that too. We do see traces of that, but yeah, I thought this was really well done. The only sort of slight concern I had was I hope they got some chloroform or something for that rabbit when they were doing for the surgery. For the surgery, yeah. 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 I was like, I didn't see, I didn't see any, you know, sort of anesthetic being used, but I'm just going to assume that happened off camera. Yeah, <laughs> and also the 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 magnifier. Like, kudos to the props people for putting that together because I don't know if it would work, but it looked convincing. It looked like it ought to work. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I mean. I think it would do something at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. All this talk about like genetic curiosity makes me wonder what Hannah's parents were like. And I just think about Hannah's parents because at one point we see a glimpse of her file this episode. And when you pause, you can see both of her parents' names, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Haslan. So I doubt we'll get anything more than that. I think that's just like a little world building detail that probably Pippa Broadhurst or someone threw in um, the the graphic designer of the show. Okay. But, yeah, but I'm uh, yeah I'm curious if that name ever comes up again. Um, so yeah, meanwhile, back in the present timeline, one forty three AR, Juliet hides in her father's office while the SWAT team searches for her. Uh, and this is, by the way, a scene from one of the trailers. Apparently, no one has made the Doctor Nichols connection yet because they're pretty sure nobody would ever hide in the nursery. So let's just assume the silo has very strict rules about leaving newborns alone. I mean, one of them is getting fussy with the flashlights. Yeah, well, this is, I'm sorry, this is one of the real problems I had with I this, epi- this episode. So just let, I'm just going, I'm going to go off on a slight rant. Go rant. Stop me when I go too far. <laughs> okay. Juliet Nich- Sims describes Juliet at the end of the episode, at, no, I think it's Bernard, describes her at the end of the episode as the biggest threat to the silo in 143 years. So you would think that the janitors, an organization dedicated to preserving the security of the silo, would be a bit more diligent in searching for this incredibly dangerous person than just standing in a doorway, panning a flashlight for like five seconds. It's like, go into the room, conduct a proper search, do something, don't just stand there like an absolute lemon while Juliet is hiding like a five-year-old playing hide-and-seek by sitting behind a desk. It's a strategy so advanced, it's a whole generation ahead. From look over there, your shoes are untied. For goodness sake, you people are meant to be the secret police. Um, I mean, okay, so I think there's a difference, though, between, you know, the fact that Bernard calls Juliet the greatest threat to the silo and these random people who are just told, go look for this woman. And for them, they're not at all as invested in this, other than worried about, like, being worried about Sims getting mad at them or something. Yeah, but but, but they but they but don't wait, but they don't go and look for this woman. They but just, they, I mean, but they are looking for this woman, but they're just not that invested that they're gonna go in and like wake up a bunch of sleeping babies for it. Like, they just, frankly, Bernard cares. These random people with flashlights, they're going through the emotions of their job. They don't really care that much to actually. <laughs> turn over and rip apart a room especially a room full of babies especially when their superior isn't watching i'm sorry i sympathized with the text last week 
But if this is the level of competence the janitors show routinely, it's no wonder Sims is shouting at them the entire time. But do you think, like, the secret police in any other country, do you think that they have a higher level of competence? Or do you think it's just actually humans on the ground who are just going through the motions? Well, I think if if you've got reasonable grounds to suspect somebody is hiding in a room, you actually go into that room. You actually look around that room. But they don't have reasonable grounds because they haven't made the Dr. Nichols connection yet. But they know she must be somewhere around there because they've seen her with the cameras in the last episode. So they may not know exactly where she is. They know they know they last saw her in Gloria's room. So that's and I'm not I'm not really sure how close those two places are, to be honest. But yeah, the last place they saw her was in Gloria's room, which maybe is in the same complex. Maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I don't know why, but that just really took me out of the episode because there's a. I, I get what you're saying, Alicia, but there's a mismatch between how dangerous Sims and Bernard um, say Juliet is and how how dangerous she is if we're following the plot of the silo. And but don't, again, do not confuse Sims and Bernard with their lackeys. Well, I'm sorry, then they, they need to hire a better class of lackey then. You, ju- you, just can't get, you just can't get good lackeys these days. Yeah, I mean, okay, as... My grandfather, I can say this because he's, he's long uh, passed away now, but my grandfather was a spy in post-World War II Berlin, and he would tell me a lot of stories, and this just seems really realistic to me. Just like the crazy things that he got away with just because people don't care enough to check. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, this is like some Star Wars Stormtrooper level of incompetence. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, Stormtrooper, Nazi, just general. Just ge- when yeah. you have a big machine um, where the people on the ground on the lowest levels are only doing things out of intimidation or, you know, because they're being paid or just to be able to go about their life. Um, they're not they don't have the same motivations as the people at the top. I'm sure if Bernard or Sims were there, if Sims Nard was there in that, <laughs> they would have gone into that nursery and said, fuck those babies. <laughs> yeah, OK. OK, I'll, I'll let that slide. Yeah, we can agree to disagree on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um. OK, so and once they're gone, by the way, Juliet, she tries to use her father's computer to look on the hard drive. And this is where she learns that he doesn't have the right permission uh, level to access that content. Um, meanwhile, while all this is going on in Gloria land, Ms. Hildebrand, Sophie Thompson, is seriously jonesing for some more Ativan. Lorazepam, it's a benzodiazepine and long-term use can indeed lead to physical addiction. But I, I think even more so in Gloria's case, it's a psychological addiction of escapism, a way to get away from, as Sims puts it later, staring at these blank walls, um, a way to imagine that her life had taken a much kinder, happier path. Luke, do you feel sorry enough for Gloria to forgive her for what she's about to do? I absolutely do. And actually, this scene answered one of the big questions I had from last week, which is why were they keeping Gloria alive? And the answer is gratitude. Sims is is keeping her alive out of gratitude. And I think that that scene is really well played because it would be so easy at this point for Sims to just degenerate into like this monster, this, you know, this inhuman evil robot. And I think actually that moment of Sims talking about his son and talking about what Gloria did for him and his wife is a really good way to, to pull Sims back from the edge of becoming like a supervillain and remind the audience that actually... For whatever faults this character has, he's still a human being. 
he's still a man with a family and he's a man who loves his family deeply and is genuinely deeply appreciative of Gloria helping him have have that family. Right. Uh, yeah. So it turns out that Gloria was back in the day actually like a legit fertility counselor um, and she hooked him and his wife up with some folic acid after a miscarriage. So this is where that gratitude you're talking about comes from. Yeah. Uh, because it led to them conceiving the son we've seen and heard referenced in uh, previous episodes. Um, so by the way, side note, expectant mothers are indeed encouraged to urge even to take folic acid every day. But there's no consensus on whether too little folic acid can actually contribute to miscarriage. Though folic acid is taken to prevent birth defects and birth defects are a common cause of miscarriage. So I don't know, that checks out to me. In the UK, for a long time, folic acid was added as an ingredient to bread. Okay. Um, yeah, to sort of make sure that the pregnant women did actually get enough of it, because it's not a bad thing for anybody else to have either. I don't think it is anymore. I think it was stopped sometime in the 90s. But yeah, from 1945 onwards, for a long time, it was routinely added to bread. Interesting. Yeah. I guess it can't hurt, right? Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know, but I don't think so. Not as far as I know. Um, but yeah, indeed, by now, Gloria has been thoroughly broken by the silo system and she's ready to sell out the woman she just last episode dubbed the last flamekeeper in exchange for something she hopes will put the torment in her mind on a permanent pause. Um, so anyway, Sims says that Gloria gets to live, but that doesn't mean he's not up for a little light intimidation and not at all veiled threats. Luke, do you think intimidation and threats are to Sims with the packed competition is to Billings? Like, do you think it's where he feels most himself? Yeah, very much so. I mean, Sims has been doing this role with the janitors now long enough that he has kind of grown into the role. The role has become part of his personality. Um, I was thinking very much of that phrase about how if you wear a mask long enough, it just becomes part of your face throughout this entire scene. Because, yeah, what Sims is threatening Gloria with is genuinely monstrous. It literally is a fate worse than death. Um, and, yeah, he is entirely comfortable making that threat. And it's not an idle threat either. Despite, you know, all the help that Gloria has been to him, despite the gratitude he genuinely feels, I've no doubt that Sims would have followed through on that threat, would have gone home and, you know, slept the sleep of the righteous. Um, and again, we talked about this in previous podcasts. I think that's what makes Sims the most dangerous character in the silo. Whether he started out that way is, is a different question. But he has now genuinely become comfortable with doing whatever it takes to, in his mind, protect the silo. Yeah, I, I mean, I do have to wonder, you know, we were talking about whether Juliet's curiosity was handed down from her mom. I have to wonder if you know, this side of Sims was handed down from his dad in both genetics and the way he was reared. Yeah, and you've got to wonder what that means about um, Sims's son. I'm not sure we've ever been told what his name is, but yeah, we've got to wonder whether this is like an ongoing, an ongoing thing in the Sims family. Yeah, I mean, it seems like at least at this age, he's young enough that Sims is just babying him still. In, in the interaction we saw is, is more about him protecting him. Yeah, and maybe but... maybe that's the way he decides to go. Maybe, you know, maybe his he didn't like the dynamic with his father and he doesn't want that for his son. But or maybe his son, as he gets older, will feel that pressure more and more. It would be an interesting thing to find out in series two, series three, to know more about that relationship between Sims and his dad and the relationship yeah. 
between Sims and his son. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of story potential in the family Sims. Yeah, I would like if they had time to get into that. Um, but yeah, in this episode, Sims takes the blanket off the mirror in Gloria's room and he notes the empty vent. He tells Gloria that she'll never get another drop of anti-anxiety medication again if she doesn't tell him what was in that vent. And Gloria caves. She tells Sims about the hard drive, that Holston put it there, and that Juliet has it now. Um, but I can't help but think, could Gloria have avoided this if she just played dumb? Like if she hadn't told Robert that she recognized him, um, then he might have bought that her memory was still wonky from the drugs. No, maybe, but I don't. I don't think. I don't think Gloria is um, sort of cogent enough to do that, and she's also desperate. I think all the fight had basically gone out of Gloria a while back, so I, I'm not sure it would have even occurred to her in the moment to try and play dumb. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Though she does still have one last lick of defiance in her. She um, does. I thought that was a very interesting line. Yeah, just before Sim slips out the door and Nurse Amy, Jacqueline Burses, slips some sweet release into her arm, she asks, do you really think you'll win? And Sim seems almost earnest for once when he responds, we have to. Yeah, um, that, that's the most earnest thing Sims has ever said. And he, his belief in that is absolute. It's like the cornerstone of his character. Well, who do you think he means by we, and why do you think they have to win? I think he thinks of himself as a guardian of the entire population of the silo. So I think, I think in his mind, he is a representative of the good people of the silo fighting against chaos, fighting against um, disorder, fighting against extinction. Because I think you've got to, I think we've always got to bear in mind that as far as the people in the silo are concerned, they are the last of humanity as far as they right. know. So I, th- I think, I don't think Sims is talking about fighting against anybody in a, in a literal physical sense. I almost think he's talking about fighting against extinction, fighting for the preservation of the silo and by extension, humanity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, so after Sims deals with Gloria, he's out looking for Juliet, and we meet his new shadow, R.I.P. Trumbull. Uh, The new shadow is a guy named Amundsen, played by Christian Ochoa, and Amundsen seems somewhat less competent, but also less murderous than his predecessor. (laughs) Yeah, I just want to know what the casting call for that character was. Must be be gruff and intimidating. I mean, yeah. it must be like himbo ready. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, when he's sent to search Juliet's office for relics, he brings back an old radio and a stapler, uh, <laughs> which throws Sims into like a mini temper tantrum. <laughs> Last week, I was thinking, calm down, Sims. You're not helping anything. But given the quality of the goons he has to work with, I can see why Sims resorts to shouting and throwing staplers. <laughs> and throwing staplers. When you were a kid, did you ever watch the film The Rocketeer? Yes. But yeah, I barely remember it. But yeah, there is a scene in that with like two FBI agents and they think they've recovered the rocket pack and it turns out to be a vacuum cleaner. Um, This is a great line. It's always lived with me. Like, I can't remember much about the rest of the film, but it's Howard Hughes talking to these two FBI agents and the line is, gentlemen, thanks to the diligence of the FBI, this vacuum cleaner will not fall into the wrong hands. (laughs) It's just like, why are you bringing me back office supplies? 
I don't know. For some reason, it just gave me an image of like someone breaking into the server room and finding all the servers replaced with vacuum cleaner. So yeah, so Sims sends Amundsen to search Juliet's office for those precious relics like the stapler. But when the searching starts, Deputy Billings, Chanaza Uche, he radios his sheriff and she actually picks up for once. Even though she's like on the run, she just shows up at work and walks into chaos. Yeah, that, I'm sorry. This is the second point. This is not so much on the goons as on Juliet. Juliet, you're on the run. Don't go to work. Don't yeah. turn up at the sheriff's office. What are you doing? Uh, yeah, I was wondering about that too. But I guess judicial, you know, they don't dare arrest the sheriff in her own station before they can find something incriminating. And even when they force her to dump her bag, the hard drive and the book, they aren't in there. Okay. So Juliet's free for now to Sim's deep frustration. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. But it's like, I just, when she literally walks through the front door, I would have assumed that like those judicial goons were just to put a black bag over her head and frog marched her to Sims. I don't understand. I mean, but I guess, I mean, but that would like, they have to at least sell it somehow, you know? They can't just outright make it so obvious, even though they've been going in that direction, but also we see that that's why tension is brewing. That's why things are getting uh, rather piquant in the, in the silo, because they've been too obvious. I guess, but, like, not to jump ahead, but there is a bit at the very end of the episode where, like, they are just, you know, they are just busting through all the norms of the pact, all the rules... To just to try and deal with Juliet, and yet at this point in the episode, they they seem to observe some kind of restraint. It's like the the level of threat Juliet poses seems to go up and down depending on the the needs of the plot. I mean, I I think that what you just literally said is that it builds as the episode goes on until they get to a breaking point where they're willing to finally cross all those lines. But then I'm going to bring this up toward the end of the episode. But we see certain characters are it's making them think again. It is. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a good reason why they shouldn't be doing this and why they avoided doing this until they feel or, you know, Sims Nard feels like they have reached the point of no return. Yeah, maybe. I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one a little bit as well. Okay. Well, fun Easter egg from this scene, though. Um, So while the raid's going on, at one point, Billings pauses to yell at one of the raiders, hey, take it easy, Howie. Of course, referencing the author of the books, Hugh Howie. I'm sure Hugh Howie had like a stipulation in the contract that that had to be in there. I highly doubt it, but he himself is supposed to make an appearance this season uh, as a cameo, but we still haven't seen him yet. So keep an eye out in the last two episodes for anyone who knows what he looks like. So we've got that to look forward to. Awesome. Indeed. Yeah, I've been keeping an eye out all season, but so far nothing. And I'm pretty sure someone would have called it out. Apparently the director of whatever episode he's in said like, no, I'm going to make sure you're front and center so they can't cut you out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but anyway, these officers, uh, these office raiders, they're breaking the pact uh, already, even though they can't like outright throw her in a sack. They don't have any probable cause to justify them tearing apart the sheriff's department, which is like pretty freaking public. And there's nothing that gets Billings more worked up than people disrespecting the motherfucking pact. Uh, so he calls them overcompensating fuckwads. <laughs> what? Because I curse. Because I, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I love that line. Like, like Billings, Billings is correct as yeah, usual. Yeah, Billings is correct, but I love the what I curse. Um, yeah. I just, yeah. Um, 
And it's not just that they, they don't have probable cause. Like Billing says they skipped about 10 steps. You know, right. the, there is supposed to be a sit down with the judge, with the mayor. There is there is all sorts of protocol and procedure that is meant to be going on here. I did think it was interesting that Billings was the only one of the deputies that we saw protest. Like all the other deputies in the station just cleared out the way. Well, we see later on that they are um, not exactly, yeah, I use the word assertive for Billings, and that does not apply to the other deputies in that station. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just think that that says something about Billings' character. Sure, yeah. That he is the only one, as far as we see on screen, that protests, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, we get some more Billings and Juliet uh, action. So at first, Billings, he asked Juliet about Meadows in front of other people about that meeting where the breakfast meeting and Juliet lies to Billings again by corroborating the story that Judge Meadows is really sick and says nothing about what she learned about the real chain of command until she drags him into her office, even though the door is still open and she tells him the truth. Uh, Meadows is not the power she seems to be, but Billings just can't believe that his work buddy Robert could be the one really pulling the strings. He enforces the pat, he explains earnestly. <laughs> um, now, Luke, do you think Robert's been slipping into Peter's apartment in evenings, like yoinking beers from his fridge like a best buddy? Why do you think Billings can't see Sims's dangerous side yet? I, I don't know, actually. I certainly don't think he's been breaking into his apartment and yoinking beers. Um, but I love the fact that... I mean, not that breaking in, but like, break, yeah. like he did with Marnes. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Waltzing uh, in. Yeah. I love the fact, by the way, that he doesn't... He refers to him as Robert rather than... Right. Uh, rather than Sims. Yeah, they're, was, they're work bros. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think if you give um, Billings a chance to sort of sit down and process it, um, I think he would, he would sort of come round to the idea, but I think it's just the shock of like somebody you've been working with for a long time is not if you were told that they're not the person you thought they were i thought it was just like the initial shock of trying to process uh right. new inf new information but i think certainly by the end of the episode i think billings has, has come fully round to the idea that sims is not the person he thought he was right yeah, yeah. true yeah, Billings, he can't deny that this search and seizure process is indeed not following protocol. So he lets Juliet drag him off to judicial. But first, his raid on the sheriff's office, uh, it triggers memories for Juliet of a raid on her home as a child when they were searching for her mother's magnifier. Uh, when they broke the chair that we saw Juliet fix in uh, a previous episode. And in this, we get a flashback. We see Hannah pleading with her husband, Ian Glenn, to understand her. And it turns out we find out later that he actually did, but he just couldn't or wouldn't do anything to stop the Raiders to give them the idea that he wasn't cooperating at all, which is an action he tells his daughter 20 years later that he regrets. But all he can say right now while this raid is happening is that his wife put the family at risk making an unsanctioned device. Why is a magnifier even illegal in the first place, she asks. I don't know, but there are rules, is his unsatisfying answer. You're good at following the rules. I'll give you that, she retorts in one of their final interactions. Do you think Peter Nichols is like Paul Billings in his devotion to the rules, or do you see a difference? No, I think um, I think Dr. Nichols, I think, is it Peter or Pete? Because he, he signs the message to um, Walker as Pete I mean, Nichols. Pete is just a nickname for Peter, so just like okay. Jules is for Juliet. Okay, well, anyway, I think he is so scared of something happening to his wife, something happening to his daughter, 
or him not being allowed to practice medicine in the silo. I think he's just, I don't think he's dedicated to the pact. I think he's just, he's just scared. And I mean, who can blame him? He's, you know, he suffered a, he suffered a bereavement. He suffered um, a tragedy. And I, I just don't think he wants any more of the people in his life to be hurt at this point. The irony of that, of course, is that his unwillingness to stand up for what he knew to be right in the moment cost him everything. And yeah, I, I thought this was a really, a really well done scene because we don't know much about Dr. Nichols. We've only seen him in a couple of scenes. We don't know anything about Hannah Nichols, but rather like Holston and Alison, the quality of the writing here sets up their relationship and the way it's fractured um, really well. Like that line, you're good at following rules. Like Sienna Guilfoy absolutely delivers that. And you can tell that's an absolute Gillery, yeah. gut punch. Yeah, that's an absolute gut punch. Yeah. Yeah, I also read um, Dr. Nichols is like being just, he really hates dishonesty. Like just, it makes him feel really uncomfortable to just not be completely frank and open, you know? Yeah, I think there's um, a lot to that. Yeah. Because we saw last episode when he was trying to sneak Juliet into the hospital, just how uncomfortable he was right. with the idea of lying. So, yeah, I think there is something to that. Yeah, the discomfort of dishonesty. Yeah. yeah. So, finally, on her husband's urging, Hannah, tired of them tearing the house apart and upsetting her daughter, just comes out and gives the thing to them. It had just been standing in plain sight, pulled apart into pieces that just looked like decor and household objects. Um, So the Raiders had no idea what they were looking for, even really. But once it's been identified, they smash it, smashing Hannah's spirit along with it. And Juliet and her mother, they both assumed that Dr. Nichols had ratted Hannah out. Though we later learn he didn't, Hannah dies thinking that her husband had betrayed her. Um, Trumbull to Holston, where does this death sit for you in the heartbreak scale? Oh, it's, it's to, definitely towards the Holston end of the scale. Because, like you say, I don't think it was actually the breaking of the magnifier um, that led her to take her own life. I think it was actually the sense of betrayal. And right. that sense of betrayal is completely misplaced. Right. I thought it was really tragic. I thought it was a really smart choice not to show, just to tell us the consequence of what happened next without without showing it. I think that would have been gratuitous and I think it would have been wrong. I think you get all of the emotional impact you need by having the audience read between the lines. Yeah. No, I'm glad the the violence hasn't been graphic. It hasn't been gratuitous. You know, it's just been um, furthering the plot really. So I do appreciate that. Um, so do you do you think it's true what Juliet says later that they saw her through the mirrors? Or do you think it was the farmer who turned her in? Because he apparently got arrested and he did not have her back. He made that clear. Yeah, I mean I think it's I think it was probably a combination of the two. I think I could easily see a situation where the farmer the farmer says something and so the janitors put a camera in the Nichols' apartment. So it's probably right. a little from column A, a little from column B. Yeah, that's true. Because they wouldn't have really been a target for surveillance before that. They wouldn't have been had any reason to pay attention to that family. Yeah, so I think, like I say, I think it's probably both. Right. Uh, but on the plus side, the bunny survives. When the raiders ask where the rabbit is, Hannah says it died and they ate it, despite having promised Juliet that she would never have to. And the raiders, they look to Dr. Nichols, the person they trust more for confirmation, and he gives a slight nod that for a moment it breaks my heart. 
But it turns out it was a ruse because the rabbit is still alive, hiding in Juliet's room. And so Dr. Daddy, he does come through in that way. The only time we've seen him lie convincingly. Yeah, and he, and it's interesting that he lies by not saying a word. Right. He just nods. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm really glad that they did that because I know it's like a trope of you can't kill the dog. But again, I just thought that whole scene was so sad and so loaded with pathos. Had judicial taken away the rabbit as well, that would have been that would have been almost yeah. too much in that scene. I don't I don't want to think what they would have done with the rabbit if it were handed over. Yeah. Um, but do you think that's what Peter meant when he urged Hannah to s- stop the search before they started going into Juliet's room? Do you think he was thinking about the rabbit? That hadn't occurred to me. I just thought he was, you know, saying that Juliet's been through enough, don't have judicial wreck her room. But you're probably right. You're probably, right. You're pro- you probably was thinking of the rabbit because then that they'd be in even worse trouble because they had an unsanctioned pet. So. Well, yeah, and it would that would scar Juliet even more. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. I, I don't think... Nichols, Dr. Nichols likes death. I, he could, if any character is a vegetarian, I could believe he was. Him or Billings. Um, but after her mother's funeral, and it's a lonely one thanks to her mother's suicide, um, presumably as Juliet is planning her runaway, she releases the rabbit back into the same field where they got it. Now, some book readers are wondering if this is a fun Easter egg, because in the book, Johns and Marnes reminisce about a case where someone had been stealing from a garden level and the lawmen were going mad trying to find the culprit. And eventually they figured out that it was an escaped rabbit eating all the plants. Um, Now, sadly, according to the timeline in the book, this case took place four years before the present day. So 16 years after Juliet releases this rabbit. Yeah. So it can't. Sorry, that that rabbit would be long since dead. Yeah. Yeah. No, it can't be the same bunny. But I like to think this bunny met another escaped bunny, maybe somebody's <laughs> illegal pet, and they like had lots of little bunny babies, and it was one of their baby's babies who terrorized the garden messing with Marnes. That's my headcanon. Well, yeah, I like that headcanon, because it would mean at least there was one happy couple in the silent. Nah, true. Yeah. <laughs> and they and they didn't have to win a lottery to have kids. Didn't have to win a lottery or anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, okay. Not to go back to a heavy subject, but it's that kind of show. Uh, Hannah's apparent suicide. It's actually the last piece in the puzzle that I was waiting to share a scene from the book with you all. This is an extended version of the scene we got in episode three, when Mayor Johns and Marnes stopped in the nursery to talk to Dr. Nichols on the way down the silo to meet with Juliet. The description Dr. Nichols offers in that scene, it was actually the first way we really learn anything about Juliet in the book. We don't meet her before that. And he has a lot more to say than we saw on TV. So basically, they've been spreading the details of the family backstory from that scene out across the season and, you know, building it out, as we keep saying. So this is what happened during that meeting in the books. Now, note, there are some differences in the details, the name of Juliet's brother, their ages. There's, of course, no mention of the magnifier because that's a a show thing only. And also, this comes with the content warning. There will be a brief mention of infant death and suicide because this book loves some shady suicides. So if you don't want to hear about that, then skip forward twice. But those who stick around get to enjoy some nice Marnes and Johns feels. Now, told from Mayor John's perspective, as she and Marnes listen to Dr. Nichols speak about his deceased son, his name is going to be Nicholas, my father's name. He was born prematurely, one pound, eight ounces. The clinical precision in his voice was somehow sadder than his processing any feelings might have been. They intubated, 
moved him to an incubator, but there were complications. Dr. Nichols looked down at the back of his hands. Juliet was 12 at the time. She was as excited as we were, if you can imagine, to have a baby brother on the way. She was one year out from shadowing her mother, who was a delivery nurse. Nichols glanced up. Not here in this nursery, mind you, but in the old mid-level nursery where we both worked. I was still an intern then. And Juliet, Mayor Johns, still didn't understand the connection. There was a failure with the incubator when Nicholas, the doctor turned his head to the side and he reached halfway to his eyes, but was able to compose himself. I'm sorry, I still call him that. It's okay. Mayor Johns was holding Deputy Marnes's hand. She wasn't sure when or how that had happened. The doctor didn't seem to notice, or more likely care. Poor Juliet, he shook his head. She was distraught. She blamed Rhoda at first, this experienced delivery nurse who had done nothing but work a miracle to give our boy the slim chance he had. I explained this. I think Juliet knew. She just needed someone to hate. He nodded to John's. Girls that age, you know? Believe it or not, I remember. John's forced a smile and Dr. Nichols returned it. She felt Marne squeeze her hand. It wasn't until her mother died that she took to blaming that incubator that had failed. Well, not the incubator, but the poor condition it was in. The general state of rot all things had become. Your wife died from the complications? It was another detail Johns felt she must have missed from the file. My wife killed herself a week later. Again, the clinical detachment. Johns wondered if this was a survival mechanism that had kicked in after these events or a personality trait already in place. Seems like I would remember that, Deputy Marnes said, the first words he'd uttered introducing himself to the doctor. Well, I wrote the certificate myself, so I could put whatever cause I wanted. And you admit this? Marnes seemed ready to leap off the bench. To do what, Johns could hardly guess. She held his arm to keep him in place. Beyond the statute of limitations? Of course, I admit it. It was a worthless lie anyway. Juliet was smart, even at that age. She knew. And this is what drove her... He stopped himself. Drove her what? Mayor Johns asked. Crazy? No. Dr. Nichols shook his head. I wasn't going to say that. It was what drove her away. She applied for a change in casters, demanded to move down to mechanical to enter the shop as a shadow. She was a year young for that sort of placement, but I agreed. I signed off on it. I thought she'd go, get some deep air, come back. I was naive. I thought the freedom would be good for her. And you haven't seen her since? Once. For her mother's funeral just a few days later. She marched up on her own, attended the burial, gave me a hug, then marched back down, all without rest from what I've heard. I try to keep up with her. I have a colleague in the deep nursery who will wire now and then with a bit of news. It's all focus, focus, focus with her. So what do you think, Luke? Does this jive with your understanding of the story and these characters, details aside, especially Dr. Nichols? Yeah, it does. It does. And that's that's really powerfully written. Yeah. Um I, I can see why they made the changes that they did for the show because the way they've done it in the show, it all feeds more directly into the, the central mystery. Um, right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and like, I think if you'd done it the way it was done in the book, it would probably be too much of like a, it would go off at too much of a tangent to the central um, story you're trying to tell. But wow, Hugh Howie can really write a scene. Yeah, somebody should turn his books into TV shows. Yeah, they should. <laughs> um, okay, so back in the present day, just before Julia and Billings barge into Sims's office, we see Sims telling Amundsen, uh, the beauty with no brains, 
to enact the Porter Spy Network. He wants every Porter question on whether they saw Juliet hand anything off to anyone. This may be the most sensible thing that Judicial does in the entire episode. Well, there's that. Um, but, but now, Sims, he has uninvited guests with a surprise and uninvited arrest. Uh, for violating packed investigation protocols, or at least being in charge of the agents who did. Uh, so arresting Sims is definitely a surprise to Billings. And he's obviously not super thrilled about it, but he does go along with it. And he even shows off that packed competition winning yeah, brain. Yeah, quote that thing chapter and verse. It was very impressive. Yeah, Sims sneers at him. All those packed bees you won as a kid finally paid off, huh, Paul? seems that way billings quips but then he kind of like bites his lip with uncertainty and yeah but he goes through with it do you get the sense that sims is almost enjoying this because i kind of do sims knows how this is all going to shake out in the end yeah he knows this is an effort in futility and i think he's kind of amused and a little bit and he kind of also admires the the sheer um oxy the audacity Audacity. that juliet is showing in that moment um and also, yeah, I think he's genuinely amused by Billings' ability, even sort of 10, 15 years later, to recite the pact without missing yeah. a beat. Yeah, I, I thought that was actually really well done because I think Common actually gets across that Sims, is, Sims isn't worried, he isn't intimidated, he's just mildly amused by the whole thing. Yeah, he tells Juliet that she'll regret it, and I think he genuinely believes it. And I have to say, I did too, yeah. you know? It's like, he means it. He's yeah. going to make you regret it, yeah. Um, so, but Billings going through with the arrest, does that, uh, knock him closer to Juliet on the Juliet to Simsnard scale? I'm not sure in that moment Billings had an awful lot of choice given the amount of, um, given the amount of witnesses. Okay. But Billings is definitely the most intriguing character in the show because I still can't quite pin down his motivations or his ultimate, um, loyalties. Yeah. I did like that when Amundsen sort of gives Juliet some serious side eyes. I've got more than one pair of cuffs. Like she would have yeah. she would have happily arrested everybody in judicial if she could at that moment. <laughs> yeah, much to Billing's chagrin. Yeah. But as he puts it, once got nothing to do with it, uh she's the boss. Yeah. And and uh Sims replies with an ominous for the moment. But he puts out his wrist and plays along pure bravado. Yeah. And Juliet, she also makes Amundsen put her stuff back in her office, which made me smile. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to look like you were never there. Yeah, she's pushing it. She's feeling her oats. Yeah, she definitely yeah. is in that moment. But then she also, like, she gets them all out of there and then shamelessly shuts the door, shuts herself into Sims's office and just, like, does a little snoopy snoopy. No big deal. Obviously, cameras are in there. I don't, I would assume, or maybe... Maybe Sims has them not in his office. Yeah, but she's rifling through um, judicial files. And yeah. she just happens, just ever so in, uh, ever so coincidentally, to find uh, her mom's file, which is... Uh... Well, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. So she's she's opening the drawers, and she notices that one drawer doesn't open as far as the one below it. And she's like, huh. And she investigates a little bit and finds out there's a false back, and she uh, finds the latch. And she gets it all the way open, and um, this she pulls out four files, but we only see the names on three of them. And those names are Shirley Campbell, Martha Walker, and Hannah Nichols. Now, the last two names are no surprise. We know they were watching Hannah, of course, and I can think of half a dozen reasons why they might be interested in Martha. Uh, But Shirley, that's Juliet's friend from the Down Deep we see interacting with Walker later in the episode. Why do you think they would be watching her? I'm not sure they would be watching her. 
I sort of assumed that that Shirley had a criminal record, had a run-in with judicial at some point. Um, I don't, I don't know for what, but I don't know why they. But would why would they have her file in this special section with those other big files? Maybe because they may, maybe that was like the Juliet Nichols file. Maybe Sims was looking. Everybody close yeah, to her. Yeah, Sims was sort of trying to find you know, the files of everybody close to her. Um, yeah, in the fourth file, like, we don't get to really see what it is unless maybe we see a little bit of the tape when she's looking through her mom's file. And if that's the case, then it is someone else with the last name Nichols. And there's like an E's and T's in there. So either Juliet or Peter. Um, but it's it's hard to say. Or it could be someone else altogether. Yeah. Uh, but in Hannah's file, we see her photo and the basic bio of her life and death. But the camera moves away when she turns the page and Juliet gasps at something. Uh, what do you think made her gasp? The identity of the real informant, that it wasn't her father or something else? I, I mean, it may be, maybe that it wasn't her father, but I think she's already worked out with the cameras, with the sensors, that it wouldn't have needed to be her father. Um, she, I don't know. This is like the first time she seems ready to entertain the idea of forgiving her father. Yeah, maybe. Um, I was thinking some sort of some sort of confirmation that Hannah that Hannah post having Juliet and Jacob um ran across the flame keepers in some kind of formal in some kind of sense maybe that was maybe that was meeting Gloria maybe that was meeting George's mum maybe it was meeting somebody else okay um because in the last episode Gloria was talking about she wasn't one of us but it felt like um, it felt like we lost one of our own. So that does kind of imply that um, she and Gloria had met at some point or so you think that, knew each other at some point. I mean, but that, but Rebecca already knows that. So if she saw that connection in the file, I don't think that would make her gasp, right? I mean, Rebecca, you know what I mean, Juliet. Yeah, Juliet. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, well, I guess what I'm saying is maybe at some point, um, Hannah Nichols was like formally inducted. Maybe she became a flamekeeper at some point. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, my assumption was that it has something to do with her father because this it, it's right after this scene that she's finally ready to listen to his side of the story. Um, she just like shows up in his office uh, for reconciliation time. And what the internet at large has dubbed the most moving scene of the episode. Were you moved? I was moved. I'm, I don't think it was the most moving scene of the episode. No? Well, what would you call the most moving scene of the episode? I would say it's the most moving scene of the episode is the scene with Walker later on when she's trying to leave. Okay, the, fair. When she's trying to leave the workshop. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the scene was certainly very effectively done. And it goes back to your thing, Alicia, clear communication. Yeah. This is two, these are two people finally, finally ready to listen to each other. Yeah. Yeah, and fun fact time, a uh, friend of the podcast, Rebecca Ferguson Fan at RebeccaFan14, pointed out on Twitter that Ian Glenn and Rebecca Ferguson actually portrayed father and daughter before in the Lifetime miniseries, The Red Tent. Uh, so Rebecca played Dinah, and uh, Ian played her father, Jacob, as in the biblical Jacob, and Minnie Driver played Dinah's mother, Leah. And the series is from Dinah's perspective, telling the story of secret traditions and histories that she learned from Jacob's four wives in the Red Tent, uh, based on a novelization. So despite it clearly having a great cast, I don't remember hearing about this one. You? 
I remember hearing about it, but I, I didn't watch it. Okay. Rebecca Fan linked a scene on Twitter, which interestingly features Rebecca's character blaming Ian's character for killing someone she loves, even though it wasn't his blade that killed them. So apparently these two actors have been practicing this dynamic since 2014. And you can tell, actually, because this scene was really well done. You can tell that these are two, these are two very good, very seasoned, very professional actors. And I think that's particularly true for... I think Ian Glenn has... I was going to say I think it's particularly true for Ian Glenn, but let me rephrase that. Ian Glenn has the harder role to play here. Because we don't, we've only seen Dr. Nichols for like maybe half an episode cumulatively, and that's been spread out across a couple of episodes now. Um, so we don't know Dr. Nichols as well as, as well as we know Juliet. Right, um, of course, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that the amount of like emotional punch he manages to put into this scene is really impressive. And also, I like how sort of quiet and internalized this whole scene was. It would have been really easy, given like the emotional intensity of the scene, for them both to like really overact it. Hmm. Um, and actually, I thought it was the restraint with which they did this really big emotional scene um, made it work much better. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It really felt like they were reaching deep and touching somewhere personal, both of those actors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and now that Jules is ready to stop blaming him, Dr. Daddy shows some remarkable insight into his wife's state of mind before her death, uh, especially for someone who comes off as distant, as Dr. Nichols does, even if he's a little less distant in the show than he is in the book. No, but I, th- I think the, the, the way that scene was written, I think it did it really well, because yes, he is a distant character, but he's a distant character that over the course of his career has spent a lot of time around grief. Right. Um. And so he's almost explaining to Juliet the different types of grief yeah. and how it affects people differently. And it's kind of it's kind of like the scene you read out earlier. He's almost analyzing what grief does to people right. rather than feeling what grief does to people. Yeah. So yes, he is a distant character, but he's sort of attempting to rationalize something that can't be rationalized or categorize something but I think, that, is, yeah. that is individual. I think, you know, especially in the show, but also uh, it evolves this way in the book. He's in some ways one of the warmest characters. You know, he does, despite all of their years apart, there's no doubt that he loves his daughter. You know, there's a... Oh, no doubt at all. And, and I, you know, I think the way he knows how to deal with things, and I think a lot of people would relate to this is, you know, he thinks about them before feeling them outwardly, you know, so he doesn't show it. But he says, you know, he recognizes that his wife's suicide wasn't about the magnifier. It was about Hannah's feelings of futility. And the magnifier was just kind of the last straw. And perhaps also thinking that her husband betrayed her would do it. Um, But he blames himself for shrinking inward after his son's death the way he'd seen other parents do after that kind of loss. And uh, to compensate and deal with her own grief, Hannah, she turned outward. She needed to do something the same way Juliet's grief over George pushed her to embark on her own dangerous odyssey. And then Julie and Petey hug. And it's uh, like a real deep hug full of like a lifetime of love and regret. And I and many others around the world caught a little water in our eyes. Um, Yeah, there are feels all over the place. Yeah. Um, with that but this is again this is not the scene where I got the feels okay the scene where I got a little bit teary was Walker in the workshop I definitely got a different kind of feels uh, yeah. yeah 
And so Juliet's truth-telling escapade continues with her dropping some new intel on her father. They're watching everyone through the mirrors with sensors like the ones they use to show the outside world on the wall screens. But uh, just as she's telling him this, they're interrupted by shady nurse Alice, uh, Elaine Maxud, and who may or may not be a spy. <laughs> we speculated about that in episode two, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> three? Yeah, episode three. Yeah, three, three. But yeah, maintenance, she says, wants to check the vents. So like, yeah, super subtle maintenance shit. Um, now, do you think that they followed Juliet there on the cameras? Do you, do you think they know she was there? Or do you think it was just like time to check in on Papa Nichols to see if he was helping his daughter? No, I took that as they, they'd followed her on the cameras. Because I think it, if it was just checking in on Papa Nichols, I think they happened too quickly, like literally. Yeah. Juliet turns up and less than five minutes later, uh, maintenance are there. So I took it that they'd been following her on the cameras. Okay. So Juliet and her dad ask Nurse Alice to send off the maintenance crew for now. And uh, Juliet tells her dad that she's sure they're there to install one of these cameras. And oh, by the way, the hard drive is in this room, hidden in one of the bassinets. Now, where do you think the book is? I don't know. I like everybody seems to be obsessed with the hard drive. Yeah. I'm like, just because we have the hard drive doesn't mean I've forgotten about the book. Yeah, the the, the book should from like the, the the from the janitor's point of view, the book should be at least as important as the hard drive. Yeah. And nobody seems to be bothered about it. I mean, um, I don't know, did Julia put it in her vent? But that seems like, you know, obviously maintenance knows to check the vents now. Yeah. Um I don't know. I think. I think again. Like I said at the, the outset of the podcast, I love the character scenes in this episode, but there are just these little. They're not by themselves like big plot points, but there's just like an accumulation. Well, well as far as the book, I'm not going to call it a plot hole until we don't see it again, because you know it's like the hard drive. She didn't have it when they searched her bag, but then it turns out she had stashed it in a logical place. So the same yeah, could very well be true. But but again, it's just like it's just like Sims and the the janitors should be at least as concerned about finding that book as they are about the hard drive. Well, the hard drive is much much worse than the book based on what we've seen so far, and we don't even know what else is on it. Mm. I mean that the, the book says the book gives people the idea of of what they're missing from the the previous world. The hard drive tells them that they're being lied to. I guess. Oh, and also, did you notice in this scene? Um, actually, it's not in this scene. It's also in the scene with Lucas. Um, Juliet keeps switching between calling them sensors and calling them cameras. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I wasn't sure whether that was intentional or whether that was supposed to mean anything. Because, like, I hadn't the last episode. I don't. I hadn't thought that she'd made the jump that they were cameras, like the camcorder that she found. Well, I don't I know were, if you learned that yeah. word if it's written somewhere on the camcorder or if she learned that word in that Georgia book. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know where she learned that word. That is a good question. Yeah, but I think it happened more than once. So I'm assuming it's a deliberate choice by the writers to have her keep switching between calling them sensors and calling them a camera. But I thought that was an interesting little detail. Uh, so Juliet takes the hard drive and asks her father to message Martha to tell her Juliet is coming down and will be there around six. She's sure Martha will be able to override the access permissions and get into the hard drive. And as pediatrician Papa sends the message in a very easy to decipher code, calling Juliet the runaway, calling back to when Martha messaged him 20 years ago to tell him his stray daughter had turned up in the down deep. 
yeah, so as he, as he's doing that, Judicial has implemented checks on the stairs, and Juliet can't go down without having her bag checked, the bag with the hard drive inside. And to add insult to injury, seems some random members of the public are blaming their sheriff for this disturbance and delays. So it's time for plan B. Call in the Starboy Ringer. But first we get what I found to be by far the funniest scene in this episode. Sims is in jail. With Mama Sheriff and Papa Chief Deputy out, the junior deputies are left watching the lion in his cage, and he definitely knows how to work them. Um, he singles out a guy named Jerry, Leon Apkin, who he seems to know is afraid of him. And everything Jerry does in this scene, he looks to the peanut gallery of his fellow deputies for approval. So should he be given coffee as requested? The peanut gallery shrugs. <laughs> that seems innocuous enough. Should he let him make a call? The peanut gallery shakes their heads in furious little movements <laughs> kept small enough that they hope Sims won't notice. <laughs> and Jerry looks visibly relieved when Sims sends he, says he won't hold it against him. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think Sims, Sims sort of lives by the working assumption that 99% of the people he comes into contact with are afraid of him. Yeah. So, yeah. I did just, I, I like this little scene, and it, it reminded me, uh, it reminded me of the scene in The Dark Knight where the Joker is sitting in prison. You know that he's going to escape, you just don't know quite how and when. Right, uh, right. And, like, to be honest, you know what, I think Sims is quite enjoying just chilling out, you know. No, it's probably the first time in days that no one has called on him for anything, that he doesn't have to do anything. He right. can just, just drink his coffee. He can just drink his coffee and chill for like yeah. a couple of hours. But I do wish, I, I mean, apparently he talks them around because the next time we see Sims, he's walking free. Um, so he must be able to get in touch with Bernard and get himself out. But we don't get to see that. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, it's a, bit of, it's a bit of a shame that happened off screen. Yeah. But before that, though, Billings comes home for dinner with his wife, Kathleen, Caitlin Zoss. And his syndrome is not going well because, yeah, as you pointed out earlier, stress, whether or not it's the actual source root cause, it definitely seems to make it worse. Um, and yeah, Kathleen, she's kind of adding to the stress by telling her husband, people say that Juliet is laying the groundwork for another rebellion. Everyone is on edge. And like, I, lo I love Billing's reaction to that because it's like, what? Who's, yeah. who's saying? He's like, tell people to calm the fuck yeah, down. Like that, that hadn't <laughs> even occurred to Billings. It's like, yeah. Yeah, way to calm me down, darling. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, exactly. Thanks for that truth bomb there. Yeah, and it's also it's also especially worrisome when we get the other perspective later in the episode where Shirley says in the down deep, Knox says they'll they'd eventually punish us for the rebellion. Yeah. What did you think she meant by that? I, I thought that was the most interesting line of the entire episode because who is the us in that sense? Yeah, mechanical, the down yeah, deep, I down guess. Deep. So like were the people were the like inhabitants of the down deep 140 years ago, were they the descendants of the rebels? Is is the down deep basically like the silos version of Australia? Yeah, uh, good analogy. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, it does, no, it does seem like it's just building a tension where um, there's people up top blaming Juliet, but also you can imagine that, yeah, apparently the down deep is worried about the fingers being pointed at toward them, which I guess it doesn't help that Juliet comes from there. Yeah. Um, but also you have to, you know, they seem quite loyal down there. And if something happens to Juliet, as does happen in this episode, you have to wonder, like, how are they going to react? Yeah, yeah. Um, because like Knox said in episode three, you know, they take care of shit. Uh, right, right. And yeah, like there is, I think, in mechanical 
a stronger sense of like tribal identity, of class identity than there seems to be in IT or judicial or the sheriff's office. Because for whatever reason, people, when you're in the down deep, they tend to stay there, like intergenerationally. I mean, I, I think a lot of like you, you saw in that reading earlier, Juliet, both of her parents worked in medical. It's yeah, same in the show. But of course, her mom's uh, a surgeon rather than a nurse in the show. Um, but Juliet, she was going to start shadowing her mom uh, in in the book version, at least before she decided to go down there. And I think that's probably what happens with a lot of people. They just do what their parents did. And, and that's true enough in the real world. So I can imagine in the yeah. silo, it's compounded. And the silo, you're liable to have a lot less in the way of career choices anyway. Yeah, that make, yeah. that makes sense. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Shirley's comment, uh, sh- this happens after we check in with Martha in the ubiquitous Dame Harriet Walter in uh, what you call the most moving scene of the episode and what I call the other most moving scene in the episode. And yeah, she's in her workshop and she's been too busy to notice the message from Dr. Nichols. But now that she sees it, she realizes it's seven, an hour after Juliet was supposed to arrive. So she's scared for her, but she's also afraid to step foot outside her workshop. Now, we've touched on it briefly before, but Martha has agoraphobia. And um, this agoraphobia, it's absolutely a central trait of the book version of Walker, too, by the way. Agoraphobia, it's, it's a type of anxiety disorder that is frequently tied to like a fear of leaving the house. So just imagine all the embarrassing and uncomfortable moments that you can experience outside, the social anxieties, claustrophobia, exposure, and inability to control your environment and what happens in it. Now imagine if you could never stop imagining these things, if these fears just flooded your, your mind 24-7 and trapped you in the one space that you deem safe. And the longer you stayed there, the more the fears would grow and the more the fears would seem real and uh, completely overwhelm you. So this this is what Martha is experiencing every day. Only at this particular moment, that overwhelming fear is battling another new overwhelming fear, fear for Juliet. So Martha goes to the door and she looks around outside and she battles with herself to take one step further beyond the threshold, undoubtedly calling herself a coward and all types of terrible names in her head. But just as she's about to give up and hate herself quietly from inside, Shirley, Remy Milner, shows up. And now Martha, she has someone else that she trusts, someone she knows cares that she can send on the hunt for Juliet. Yeah, I mean, I think why this scene is so affecting is Harriet Walter really does a superb job of communicating non-verbally just how much effort this is taking for Walker, just how much nerve it's taking her to to walk to that door. And I think this is, I mean, we already knew this about Walker and Juliet's relationship is, you know, that it's ersatz paternal, but right. I think the way this is done, it really communicates, because... I don't think there is anybody else in the silo, with the possible exception of her ex-wife, Carla, that she would even contemplate doing this for. Right, maybe Knox or Shirley. Um, but yeah, I just thought like the the way that was done, and like also I have I have a lot of empathy with Walker in that scene because I'm not yeah I'm not agoraphobic, but I have a, a physical disability. I'm a wheelchair user. So there have been plenty of times in my personal experience where I've wanted to do something, but I've been absolutely physically incapable 
of doing it. And I know what that is. I know what it is to feel like you need to do something to help the people that you care about and just being absolutely unable to do it, no matter how much you actually want to do it. It's just right. it's just beyond you. And I think Harriet Walter just communicated that beautifully. I, yeah. I thought that was a really moving scene. Yeah, no, it really touched me because I I do I don't have agoraphobia, but I have a different anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and so it's similar. I mean, every anxiety disorder is basically comes from the same source, where there's just um, your body isn't regulating the hormones like serotonin and cortisol, and uh, you know all all these things are not in the balance. So often like you have this feeling in your head, there's just like something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And the way that the the human mind deals with that often is to try to assign reasons, things that can be wrong. There's different ways it can manifest, you know, it can be OCD, uh, can be agoraphobia like this, can be generalized anxiety disorder where you just feel like you just have that low level anxiety all the time and you just have to sort of train yourself to kind of ignore it and to like just say like this is this is just a normal baseline and uh, I, this is just what I operate in and there's also can be good things about it because it can make you more conscientious in some ways it can make you more uh, alert in some ways but you know Martha's she's fallen under the pile of it and you know it's just how long has she been down there how many years where it's just been building and building and building and she doesn't know how to dig herself out yeah. So very, very important scene about mental health uh, and very well translated from the book where, again, yeah, Walker does have the same situation, the same agoraphobia. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But meanwhile, back up at the top, uh, Juliet, she has a good idea where she can find Lucas, of course. So she sends a porter to the cafeteria to invite him to her apartment with promises of answers to his questions about the lights in the sky. What do you think Lucas was thinking when he got this note? Um, I'm about to get lucky, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, leaving aside the the obvious attraction between Lucas and Juliet, I think Lucas genuinely just enjoys Juliet's company. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I don't think he was thinking anything in terms of like plot or answers. I just thought he was. I just thought he, what he was thinking was. I get to, I get to spend yeah. time with I get to spend time with Juliet and that's cool. Yeah, my crush wants to see me and maybe I can make up for that awkward kiss attempt. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a little worried about him though with this note linking them together cuz we've already heard this episode that Sims uses the porters as a personal spy network. Yeah, that's that's not a good sign. Um yeah. but yeah, and Lucas is, as we're about to find out Lucas is about to get in way over his head. Yeah, this is no fun little date. Uh, Juliet has brought him here so that she can melt his motherfucking mind. <laughs> By the way, I love the expression on Lucas's face because he's right there with the audience. Wow, this is a lot of information all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what, yeah. what? I mean, but he's got to be alarmed by her behavior from the second he walks through the door because she's like darting around the apartment, randomly turning on the water, blabbering about judicial raiders <laughs> being on their way. Yeah. Like this is not, this is unsettling yeah. stuff. Judi judicial raiders <laughs> will be here in five minutes and I've got three minutes to talk. <laughs> yeah. 
but she needs to know from him why she can't get into the drive. And that's easy enough for an IT guy to answer. Sysop, system operator, is the highest level of clearance on this drive. And the drive will only work on the computers of a select few like head of IT, Bernard, judicial security, Sims, and the sheriff, Jules. But she can't go back up to her own office, she says. Um, and I guess especially not after hours when no one is watching because then maybe she really could get like black bags. You know? Yeah, that's a good point, um, actually. But I, I do have to wonder what she thinks is going on with Sims. Like if he's just sitting nicely in his cell by himself or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in a move familiar to every IT professional who has ever lived, I'm sure Juliet wants Lucas to just fix the problem for her <laughs> real quick with a wave of his IT magic wand. Yeah, I mean, I was, <laughs> I was really wondering whether they were going to have him say, just turn it off and on again. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, she goes She goes all in to convince him. She tells him everything. The murders, Sims, the relics, George. Uh, Lucas's brain has gone into full buffer mode as he tries to process all this information. But he's also a little bit jealous, too, about that last thing. Oh, that explains a lot, he yeah, says. Yeah, wait, who's George? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A friend, a friend. We all know what that means. Yeah, and, and he accuses her of using him, and she's, she admits, right now I am using you because I have no other choice. Now, Luke, if you were the other Luke, how would you be feeling in this moment? Just just monumentally confused. I think you put it perfectly. Like, Lucas is just buffering at this point. Like, there yeah. is too much information coming at me too quickly. And also, this was I don't know what I was expecting in this situation, but this certainly wasn't it. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just under-equipped to deal with this. How do you think after this scene, what do you, how do you think Juliet feels about Lucas? I mean, you know, this panic aside. I mean, I don't think you can put this panic aside. I mean, I think she obviously likes Lucas. We've seen that in previous episodes. But that's just not where her head is at at the moment. Yeah. She needs him for the particular set of skills that he has got. But I think, yeah... I think she definitely feels like a, a fondness for him. And I'm thinking she must innately trust him, obviously. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of guilt as well for dragging, him, for dragging him into this. Yeah, but she also has no time to coddle his emotions in that moment. She just needs him to be the guy she hopes he is, the guy she's convinced enough he might be that she risked all this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely caught off guard and he's like spouting about the rules. So how very like her father and her partner Billings. <laughs> she, uh, but she doesn't give him any time at all to work through the pile of shit she's just dumped at his feet before she's smashing the mirror she just uncovered and pulling out the camera to show it to him. So I guess that's how she knew Judicial was going to be coming momentarily, if that's what she had planned. Yeah. Do you think the camera caught Lucas before she pulled it out? Probably, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm really worried about Lucas in a way mm -hmm. that I definitely wasn't at this point in the book. Um, also because they seem to be combining him with another character we'll talk about in a bit. Well, if it helps at all, I was absolutely convinced that Dr. Nichols wouldn't survive the episode, and he seems to have come yeah. through with flying colors, so... So far. So far. So good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, for now, Lucas admits that he has a mom to take care of, and that's what's holding him back from helping Juliet in the way she wants. Uh, does this seem reasonable to you? It seems very reasonable. And Juliet, I, I mean, uh, Juliet gets all huffy about it, and I don't think she would if she weren't as desperate uh, yeah. as she is. But yeah, I mean, and she, of course, can't necessarily relate because she's been estranged from her parents. That's so, you true. Know, she's lost one and has been estranged from the other since she was a child. That's yeah. true. But it's just like I can't deal with your your rationalizations. I can't deal with your reasons for not helping me at this point. I just need you to help me now. 
Um, yeah. And I thought, like, breaking the mirror and physically showing in the camera was, like, I thought that was quite a smart move on Juliet's part because, yeah, that, the, the, the only way that the only way this story is going to seem convincing to Lucas in that moment is if you do that, is if you show him yeah. what's going yeah. on because you've just done such a massive information dump on yeah. him that his first, his first thought was going to be either you're completely crazy or this has nothing to do with me or you've just succumbed to, like, rampant paranoia. Um, so mm-hmm. I thought actually, I thought actually as a way of convincing him quickly, I thought that was, I thought that was, I hadn't thought about your point that the judicial would have seen it, but actually I thought that was, that was a really acute piece of psychology by, um, Juliet in that moment. I don't think she was thinking of it on that level. I think she was just frustrated that he wasn't sort of following along with what she was saying. Yeah. Um, and so she just needed to convince him in the moment. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't blame her at all for her actions, and, and I also don't blame him at all for, you know, being like WTF is all this. <laughs> yeah. So Lucas barely has time to chase Juliet out of her apartment, uh, her carrying the hard drive before the jackboots sweep in again. And if they did see Lucas in the camera, they don't seem interested in him right now. But Juliet decides to see if she can just go ahead and Juliet her way through the checkpoint. And when that's not going well, Mayor Holland swoops in to save the day, and the security woman looks visibly confused. Um, do you think Bernard could have been the one who ordered this in the first place, since Sims was supposed to be in jail and all? Very well could have. I do I do like the um, the judicial uh, person manning the checkpoint. Because, yeah, she might as well have had a question mark floating above yeah. her head. It's like, but I thought, no exceptions. Yeah. What am I supposed to do here? It's the mayor and the sheriff? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Bernard's still playing innocent for now and uh, asks Juliet the very reasonable question of WTF is going on with her arresting Sims. Like Billings, he says, Robert is so by the book. But unlike Billings, I don't believe that Bernard actually believes that. Now, Juliet totally buys into it, though. Uh, she's convinced that Bernard's her ally and she starts telling him all the things. She's just telling everyone all the things today. And uh, Bernard's one of them. Yeah. And he, he says he knows a quiet place where they can talk, which I mean, to me, it was like, dun, dun, dun. But also, <laughs> it does seem completely reasonable given everything that we know. Yeah. <laughs> but it is funny. They end up back in the same cornfield. Now, I know they reuse this cornfield set for practical reasons, but what do you think it means from a story perspective that we keep coming back here this episode? I mean, yeah, actually, you're right that there is kind of a story angle that, you know, the whole sort of saga of Juliet comes full circle. Yeah. I thought of it more practically. Like, yeah. if there were, if you know whisperers are a thing, like, of course, if you're planning any clandestine meetings, you do it in the middle of a field because... Yeah, no, that does, yeah. that seems, it seems a logical place. Yeah. So I, I, I hadn't sort of thought about it thematically, but you're right, there is definitely um, a sense of Juliet's story coming full circle. Yeah. And it's also just easier to have one set, which I, I'm have going to assume that this might have been the same set that was the orchard set for the funeral. Yeah, before. I'm guessing so. By the way, like in in universe in the silo, um, and this is my um, son of a farmer coming through. Where do they get the topsoil from? Um, I mean, I guess they they must have imported it because you know, obviously, as we talked about last week, everything 
everything that they use for animal husbandry, farming, chemical processing, water processing, all of that had to come in when they built the silo. Yeah. So I guess the soil did too. And then, I mean, I guess that's one of the reasons, of course, why they keep burying the bodies in these fields. I guess, but like that. that, Like super mulch, super composting. Yeah, that field looks enormous. And I'm guessing, you know, to feed 10,000 people, you are going to need to grow a lot of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, several farms, several yeah. farms. So, yeah, it just goes to sh- like we were we were talking about the in the feedback section a couple of episodes ago. We were talking about what the tunnel down for the digger was and whether it was the like the access point to and from the silo. And right. I've been thinking about that since, and more and more, I'm convinced it can't be because even if you could get ten thousand people in there, you could yeah, yeah, you couldn't get tons of soil you couldn't get all the supplies they would have needed yeah through that, through i mean that i think i think my response to the question of how they got everything in is i think like all of the supplies and stuff i'm assuming they put that in before they like put the lid on yeah i'm guessing and then and then yeah the door you can just file people through the door i'm guessing so so Bernard, he starts plying her for information about what he knows about Sims, um, and he's inching it the conversation toward poking at whatever they could be so desperately searching for when he says, the thing, hard drive. Fuck me, he says. He shouldn't know that's what she has, uh, but now the cat's out of the bag. Um, do you think he slipped accidentally or on purpose? I think he slipped accidentally. Yeah. I should say the rabbits out of the cage. Yeah, the, the, the rabbits out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think it was. I think it was a genuine slip because, from his point of view, if he can get Juliet to cooperate and give him the hard drive, that's much easier than having to find it. So I think the slip was genuine. Um, yeah, but in, in any case, Sims and the judicial squad are standing by in the cornfield, and uh, they swoop in for an arrest. But before they do. When it's just Bernard and Sims listening, Bernard takes a moment to go arch villain, confession of his plans and all. And he says, I'm sorry, Sheriff Nichols. Did you just say you want to go outside? I distinctly heard you say you wanted to go outside. And of course, Sims was listening to the same imaginary voice. Sims says something really interesting in this, which is all of the events, everything we've seen since Holston went outside has happened in two weeks. Right. Yeah. Uh, I thought this had happened over a much longer, I mean, not a much longer, but I thought we'd be looking at sort of four or four, I thought we'd be looking at a couple of months at least. I like, I, okay. I kind of thought that the episodes, apart from episodes one and two, I thought from episode three onwards, we were sort of working in real time. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought we were working in real time, meaning I thought it was a short, like, a couple weeks. Yeah, but... Because, but because we see each day, pretty much. No, but that's what I'm saying. I kind of thought that each episode from three onwards was sort of a, a week compressed into an episode. Uh, I mean, because often, like, a lot of the episodes are a specific celebration day yeah, or a specific event. That's true, but, yeah, the, the, the thought that everything has happened in two weeks. And actually, no. that makes a lot of sense because you can... When you know that, you can see why people in the silo are getting so wigged out that all this stuff um, is happening so quickly. You know, in a context, in a society where change probably doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I thought that was A, really interesting, and B, really useful information to sort of confirm what timeline um, we've been operating in for the last five or six episodes. Yep. No, I think, yeah, it's nice when they give us a, like a little sense of the timeline like that. Yeah, yeah. but like seriously, like they, they need to rethink the job of Sheriff because like um, Sim says, what is it about the job of Sheriff that they want to keep going out? They want to keep going outside. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I find so this this thing of like pretending that Juliet says she wants to go outside is a uh, change from the book and I'm not a huge fan of this change it doesn't make so much sense to me because I find it extremely difficult to believe that I mean I just think it would raise too many red flags for people because this is supposed to be a rare thing that people ask to go outside it was already shocking that you know Allison Holston did it three years after his wife Allison but then of course then at least you you understand why he wants to be with his wife but it seems like really rich to say someone else like wants to go outside rather than just pinning a crime on her that they could use as an excuse to send her out. Yeah, but um, I mean, just thinking it through from Bernard's point of view, because this is clearly Bernard's idea. If they try and pin a crime on her, then presumably there's going to be some sort of judicial process. There's going to be some sort of trial. There's going to be some sort of way that Billings that's is there. There will be. Well, yeah, Billings is there, but I'm just... Because Julia is clearly not going to go along with it. So she would try and mount some kind of defense. That could get very awkward. Whereas if you just say she wants to go outside, that kind of cuts through that, I guess. But there's also, they talked about with when Allison was going to go out, you know, Johns was saying, you know, there are processes where you, we can have a hearing where, you know... I mean, in, in Allison's case, though, like she screamed it in front of a cafeteria yeah, full of people. people yeah. but i can imagine in juliet's case uh, uh yeah i mean i guess the big difference in juliet's case is like it's the other two biggest authority figures in the silo who are the ones who say they witnessed it um so bernard says it's his job to make the hard decisions as laid out by the founders taking care of problems that arise to save the silo after all he has the knowledge intelligence and information about everything that happens here um, and then he says something very Spock-like that's pissing off some Star Trek Yeah, fans. I picked this up as well. He goes all Vulcan for a second. Yeah, he says, the needs of the many require the sacrifices of the few. And I have to give a shout out to Lestu from Discord and Facebook, who especially took exception to this desecration. I'm with you, Lestu. As a lifelong Trekkie, I took grave exception. You don't take that shit in vain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and then he adds the much less poetic, but now in my mind, iconic line, this isn't about heat tape. This is about survival. <laughs> <laughs> now, Luke, I know Bernard won you over for a while and he won over a lot of book readers too, even. Um, I love the complexity that's been added to his character, but I'm kind of excited to have the villain back. Yeah. What do you and think? The, I, yeah. And the, the thing is, he's a stone cold psychopath. Yeah. He is absolutely <laughs> chilling. I mean, I would still say I would still say Sims is the most dangerous character in the silo because Sims has Sims is not afraid of getting his hands dirty. Like he, you know, he killed Doug Trumbull himself. I think that would be physically beyond Bernard. But right. but to have somebody who is that comfortable lying in the, way, yeah. in the way that Bernard is, you know. You know who Bernard kind of reminds me of for, um, for like massive Star Wars fans or soon to be all Star Wars fans? 
is um, Thrawn, Admiral Thrawn. Okay. He's got a whole bunch of books written about him. And he was a major character, the main villain in the Rebels animated series. But he's also coming back in the new Ahsoka series. It's so, going to be the same actor playing him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lars Mikkelsen, the same as the voice actor. Who is, he just looks perfect for it. But he's also, he's like this iconic archetype of this. But not even an archetype. He's got this, like, his intellect is chilling. Uh, because he genuinely sees himself as the savior of the civilizations that he's destroying. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, the thing is, when he says it's not about a heat tape, it's not. But I'm sure somewhere in the back of his mind, he's taking satisfaction that he's managing to get revenge on the yeah. person that stole his heat tape. Um, <laughs> the fucking heat tape. Fucking heat tape. <laughs> um, yeah, like... Bernard is dangerous for the same reason Sims is. He's he's a true believer. He's absolutely convinced in in the righteousness of what he's doing. Um, and when, by the way, when he says when he says earlier on in that scene, I never wanted this fucking job, referring to being mayor. Right. Liar. Yeah, for sure. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You absolutely. wanted this job. Yeah. No, definitely. And yeah, now that like his secret identity has been revealed, what do you what other secrets do you think Bernard might be keeping? I don't know. I'm still I still wonder whether Bernard is the ultimate big bad. There is still part of me that wonders whether there is somebody off screen that we haven't seen yet. Okay. That Bernard and Sims answer to. Because I still come back to if there if there isn't if we've met the ultimate villain, why have the charade of having Meadows be chief judge? Why wait this long to kill Mayor Johns if we're assuming that they did kill Mayor Johns, which I think is a fairly safe bet at this point? You could have replaced these people with yourself and Sims much earlier than you did. So yeah. why bother have why bother with that charade? Unless you yourselves are answerable to somebody else. And if you are, it actually makes sense for you to be hidden sort of several rungs down in the leadership of the silo so that you're not drawing too much attention. But I guess, yeah, I I have the sense that Bernard's a type who doesn't trust anyone but himself to do things. Yeah, I I I think there's a lot of truth in that. And as you pointed out, with the judicial goons this episode, maybe he's right. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, Juliet puts up a hell of a good fight against several judicial goons, all of whom are wearing helmets and body armor, and she isn't. Yeah, we we get that uh, great chase through the cornfield that we saw from the trailer. Um, But yeah, Juliet, she's far outnumbered, so she is caught fairly quickly. But when the goons surround her, at least one of them looks a little uncertain about what's going down and whether it's like completely kosher. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. Was one of them deputy? Oh, what's her name? Sandy. No, somebody else has. It's different actresses. Okay. But I guess there's, especially she was behind a mask, so it's hard to see. But that is the one who was looking really like, I don't know, this seems wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and back down in Mechanical, Shirley tells Martha about the arrest, which um, Martha's, of course, baffled by, especially since Juliet was supposed to be headed down, and now she said she wanted to go outside. But it seemed like Shirley kind of believed it, huh? No, I think Shirley was just, like, Shirley was just passing on what she'd heard, because she literally does do, she literally does go to Walker at one point, you know, don't shoot the messenger, I'm just telling you. Yeah. I'm just telling, I'm just telling you what I heard. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, meanwhile, Billings, he's escorting Juliet back up the stairs. And for some reason, Juliet's not cuffed. So I do have a question about that. <laughs> and he tells her, I'm done trying to make sense of you. Are you still with Billings on his reactions to Juliet? Yeah, I'm just with Billings in that moment. It's like, what is going on? You've lied to me repeatedly. And when you haven't lied to me, you've only told me half the truth. And when you have told me the truth, it's because I've left you no other choice. Right. So, yeah, Billings is one of my favorite characters at this point. And yeah, he's just, he's got every right to feel hopelessly confused about the situation. And quite used by both Julia and Sims. Yeah. So I can quite easily believe that you would just be fed up of the whole situation by this point. Yeah. So this scene, it's it's actually a parallel of a scene from the book, um, which is going to be my last reading for the episode. And the, the scene uh, in the book is linked to the character Scotty I've mentioned a few times before. Uh, Scotty's not in the show again, so this isn't a show spoiler. But if you don't want to be spoiled about his story arc in the book, then skip ahead now about three times. Okay, still here? Okay, now I have to give you a quick content warning. This reading features references and some description of suicide. If you don't want to hear that, then also skip ahead now about three times. Okay, if you're still still here then yeah, let's talk about the book version of Jules's arrest. Now, in order to understand the emotional gravity of this scene, you first need to understand the book character, Scotty, Jules's former shadow turned IT recruit. Our friend Silo TV fans especially loves this character. I asked them for a quote about why they love Scotty so much that I could share here. And this is what they said. I think what gets me most about Scotty is that he's so innocent most characters that we know by name know something and have a connotation of being either good or bad, but he just wanted to make a better life for himself further up in the silo and didn't have an agenda. Meanwhile, Scotty is completely pure, at least in the book, the only person from the down deep in close proximity to Jules when she moves up. In short, it's like shooting a puppy point blank. And um, this is what Hugh Howie said to silo TV fans about Scotty's absence in the show. One less person to kill, and in parentheses, and I fought this decision and lost. So the showrunner Graham Yost seems to have given Scotty's more earnest qualities to Coop, Juliet's former shadow in the show, and his IT role to Lucas, who's in this case the one she goes to with the hard drive. And yeah, this means Scotty does die in the book. So the scene I read in the post credit of the last episode of this podcast where Jules muscles her way into IT to see Scotty, this is the pretense in the book that Bernard uses to first arrest her, or rather to send Billings to do it. And this is how it goes down in the sheriff's office, told from Jules's perspective. She pulled her keyboard toward her and was just glancing up at her screen when Peter saw the emergency icon first. Wow, another alert, he said. She started to click on the flashing icon, heard Peter blow out his breath. What the hell's going on around here, he asked. She pulled the message up on her screen and read it quickly, disbelieving. Surely this wasn't the way of the job. Surely people didn't die this often. Her just not hearing about it because her nose was always in some crankcase or under an oil pan. The blinking number code above the message was one she recognized without even needing her cheat sheet. It was becoming sadly familiar. Another suicide. They didn't give the victim's name, but there was an office number, and she knew the floor and address. Her legs were still sore from her trip down there. No, she said, gripping the edge of her desk. You want me to... Peter reached for his radio. No, damn it, no! Juliet shook her head. She pushed away from her desk, knocking over the recycling bin, which spilled out all the pardon folders across the floor. 
The scroll from her lap rolled into them. I can, Peter began. I got this, she said, waving them away. Damn it, she shook her head. The office was spinning around her, the world growing blurry. She staggered for the door, arms wide for balance, when Peter snapped back to his computer screen, dragging his mouse with its little cord behind, clicking something. Uh, Juliet? But she was already stumbling out the door, bracing herself for the long and painful descent. Juliet! She turned to find Peter running behind her, his hand steadying the radio attached to his hip. What? she asked. I'm sorry, it's... I don't know how to do this. Spit it out, she said impatiently. All she could think of was little Scotty hanging by his neck. It was electrical ties in her imagination, uh, because that was a thing between them in the book. That was how her waking nightmare, her morbid thoughts, crafted the scene of his death in her head. It's just that I got a private wire and keep up if you want, but I've got to get down there. She spun toward the stairwell. Peter grabbed her arm, roughly, a forceful grip. I'm sorry, ma'am, but I'm supposed to take you into custody. She whirled on him and saw how unsure of himself he looked. What did you say? I'm just doing my duty, Sheriff, I swear. Peter reached for his metal cuffs. Juliet stared at him, disbelieving, as he snapped one link around her wrist and fumbled for the other. Peter, what's going on? I've got a friend I need to see, too. He shook his head. The computer says you're a suspect, ma'am. I'm just doing what it tells me to do. And with that, the second link clicked around her other wrist, and Juliet looked down at her predicament, dumbfounded, the image of her young friend hanging by his neck, unable to be shaken loose from her mind. Uh, the personal relationship we see these two characters have in the show really changes this interaction of the arrest, doesn't it? It does. And I think it obviously makes sense that in the show that Billings is not the one to arrest her. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think with, with the changes they've made. So that interaction with Bernard is not is not in the book. What interaction with Bernard? Oh, in the... The in interaction the, with the... Where uh, Bernard outs himself by, you know... Oh, no, no, no. They're not, they're not in the field. They're not... No. They don't have that exchange. No, there's... Yeah, I mean, the cornfield, it's definitely a cinematic thing. Um, okay. Yeah. But no, there's no thing where... Actually, at this point, we haven't even really met Sims yet in the book. He kind of only pops up halfway through. Okay, so they've made Sims a much bigger deal in the show than he is in the book. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, in this episode, uh, Billings, he's he's more mad at Juliet, but he's also full of like much more doubt. Uh, Juliet is loudly proclaiming that she never wanted to go out. And Billings has no reason to think she ever would say a thing like that. Unlike book Billings, he's not just experiencing shame at what he's doing, but like real deep down doubt. Um, yeah. Who do you think Billings hated arresting more this episode, Sims or Juliet? Oh, I think that I think they'd be on par, to be honest. Because Billings doesn't really, Billings isn't really comfortable with either. And the thing is, I think Billings over, I think Billings has come to admire both of them for different characteristics. Mm -hmm. And they sort of both reflect different sides of his own character. Um, What I think is really interesting about the scene is just the, like, Sims has given up any pretense of following the pact or any kind of procedure because Billing says, you know, if if you think you've been misheard, you've got to have like a, there's got to be like a judicial hearing. And Juliet makes the obvious point, well, what with judicial, that's him. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know that, that, that's Sims. Yeah. And like, Sims is just, he's not putting up with any of it. Yeah. He's just blowing through the pact um, regardless. And I think that, that as much as anything else is what is making Billings uncomfortable. I think Billings can deal with breaking the letter of the pact. 
but he can't deal with breaking the spirit of it. This Blake. Yeah, yeah, he still believes in the system, and yeah, and indeed, yeah. he tells Juliet to request a hearing, but she's like, not if this leather-clad <laughs> asshole's running the show. I mean, yeah, like, what, what would be the point? Yeah. But then, yeah, then Sims punches Juliet in the stomach, and and Billing's eyes go so wide, like it's a miracle they stayed in his head. I don't know, like, how Sims thinks he's going to get away with this. Yeah, because we also saw, like, a father and a son on a nearby balcony, not too impressed. Yeah, and, like, Sims has given them, them, like, massive side eye. So, it's like, Juliet is loudly protesting. And we saw when Holston and Allison went outside, you know, there are... There are several texts that help the person going outside put the suit on yeah, um, and stuff like that. Juliet's not going to go quietly outside. She's going to be complaining, you know, to those people. She's going to be shouting it. Yeah, she's going to be shouting at them, yeah. But in the book, they do talk about, like, that does happen sometimes, you know, because especially people, most people who are sent out to clean didn't volunteer. Most of them are sent as a death sentence. And they, yeah, but, and, but, but, but they have they have people who shout and fight the entire way out and swear they won't clean, but then they do clean. And yeah, but but Juliet's not been sentenced to a crime. She's a they're, they're saying that she asked to go outside, yeah. so she can say at any point I didn't say that or I was misheard. Well, she she does keep saying that, but uh, but you know she's got the two powerhouses of the silo against her. So yeah, yeah. But if they try and sh- if they like literally try and shove her out the door, you're going to trigger the very thing you're trying to prevent, which is like a a massive rebellion insurrection. Once people know that you can that the powers that be can can do that to the sheriff, then they can do that to anybody. So that's why I'm saying why I think it was a mistake to make it in the show that pretending that she volunteered because I think that's much less believable than just pinning a crime on her. Yeah, I think Sims and Bernard have actually been backed into a really tight corner because I'm not sure. They can't get away with sending her outside of her own volition. And I don't see how they're going to plausibly pin anything on her. I mean, I think it's more plausible, but yeah. I mean, yeah, they could connect her with any of the numerous deaths. I mean, if I was if I was Sims of Bernard, what you're really looking for is something from the hospital that you could just give her a shot of something, and oh dear, she had a stroke. Yeah. I mean, that even that's not particularly believable, but it's probably your it's probably your least worst option at this point. Especially for Juliet, she's uh, young and very fit. Yeah, it's not a foolproof plan. Mm. It's probably the best of bad options at this point from Sims and Bernard's point of view. Yeah. But yeah, all this stress, it's definitely not good for Billing's illness. And he loses hold of Juliet. She, or rather, she takes advantage of, you know, she sees him tremor and uh, she grabs the bag with the hard drive and jumps over the side of the railing. Now, do you think Juliet has somewhere to land or do you think she's sacrificing herself to get the hard drive to Martha at the bottom, as some have suggested? I mean, I'm assuming Juliet doesn't die, but... (laughs) But I'm I'm guessing she grabs something on the way down, or maybe right. she lands. Maybe she lands like three levels down, sprains an ankle or something. Yeah, I know some people are even wondering if she jumped through recycling or something. But like that's I don't think that's not in the middle of the stairs, right? And uh, I think no. I think landing on a pile of sharp scrap metal would kill her faster than anything. Yeah, and but bear in mind that's a long way down. Yeah, it is. I agree with you. I think she catches herself a few levels down, pulls herself up, and makes a run for it. After all, the next episode's called The Getaway. Oh, okay. By the way, did you ever watch um, Babylon 5 back in the day? Late 90s, early 90s? No, that's one that 
I, I mean, I, I'm well aware of it, of course, but that's one that I missed. Okay, because this really made me think of the cliffhanger from the end of season four of Babylon 5. Not only because it's somebody jumping off a high point and falling down a long way, but just the way it was the way it was shot. I wonder whether the directors, like back in the day, watched that episode because it's shot. Okay, and it's not beat. It's not beat for beat, but it's shot very similarly in terms of what you see and what you don't, and where it cuts is quite similar okay. as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, well, we obviously have a lot of thoughts from the community about this episode. Uh, Let's get into them. Those theories and questions and our own final thoughts right after the break. Now opening the listener feedback channel. So starting with Twitter, we have feedback from Mark at Markall84. And Mark says, episode eight was a turning point for this series and provided a bit more insight into the power structure. Juliet will spark a revolution within the silo. She obviously survived the jump. I'm just not sure where she landed. Or maybe she didn't. Did she sacrifice herself to get the drive to Martha? So yeah, this is one of the theories I was citing above. Um, But do you think the season is going to end with a revolution? I think it very well could, because I think Bernard and Sons as the, the chief antagonists within the silo have backed themselves into a really tight corner yeah. uh, now. Um, and there, there are just going to be too many unanswered questions. And the fact that this has all happened in such a compressed space of time, yeah, I, I don't think maybe a revolution. I think, I think there's certainly going to be a lot of people asking a lot of questions um, and like, I really don't know if judicial are like equipped in the physical sense or equipped psychologically to to deal with that. I do just wonder as well, even if we take for a second the idea that Juliet sacrificed herself seriously for a second, like would the hard drive actually survive that fall as well? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess if she really sacrificed herself, put it under it, but still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be awful for for Martha too and everyone it else. Would. <laughs> It would. But yeah, I certainly think there is there is a lot of trouble coming to the silo. And actually, like, if you wanted to do a cliffhanger for, for episode 10, like the beginning of a rebellion would be, it would be a really interesting cliffhanger to leave the series on. Yeah. Okay, next up, we have Max's Red Vans at Own Special Way, our friend Sherry from the Discord, um, says, it can't be what it seems, that final moment, or can it, LOL. I can't say I was totally surprised by the reveal because the only one I completely trusted was Juliet. But when it went down, it went down harder than I would have expected. I did trust Shirley and Walker mostly, but too much we don't know about them. Lucas is a wild card right now. He seemed pretty shook, though. It seemed like there was something off about the time it would take her to get down to mechanical, too. Didn't it take days walk before? I need a rewatch, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I think... It took longer for Marnes and Johns, but it did seem quite quick. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, we Marnes and Johns are considerably older right. than, than Juliet is. Um, and it's not just a difference in age as well. Like Juliet, as fit. we mentioned, yeah. is extremely fit and extremely motivated. So, yeah, I think... And also, she was originally going from medical, which is at least a little bit closer to the down deep right. than where uh, Mons and John set off from. So, yeah, I think she probably could do it in a couple of hours. Um, she'd need to rehydrate afterwards, yeah. but 
I think she, she, she could probably do it. She's gotten a lot of exercise running up and down the stairs these past few episodes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, her royal bubbliness at JDite underscore asked about agoraphobia, which is actually why I made sure to include a more thorough discussion of it this time. But she also added, my heart just breaks for Juliet and her father this episode. Hmm. So Hannah died believing her husband had betrayed her. I can't imagine the regret, guilt, self-loathing that he's been carrying. And that's why he let Jules go down to mechanical so that she had the opportunity her mom was denied and hopefully to not end up the same way. So, yeah, same, same. So sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Miriam White at Vader Girl says, heartbroken about Tim Robbins' betrayal. Shirley has a secret file dedicated to her in judicial. She must play a big part in any uprising. I wonder about the secret off-limits spot with the relic machine and water. Where are the people sent to mine? The tunnel may lead to a secret contingent or another silo. I'm curious. Unsure if Sims is all evil or secretly part of resistance. I have hope for him. Billings is set up to be a hero, but he has family that will be used against him, so he's easy to manipulate. Juliet's dad, I still think, is hiding something, unsure of him. I love Tim Robbins. He's so tall and menacing. He's fun to watch. I bought the book Wool on Audible, waiting for the end of the season to listen. So, yeah, you were also worried that Billings' family would be used against him. Do you harbor any hope of Sims being redeemed? No, 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 sorry. I mean, I like I like Sims too, and I think Common's performance is this um, season have been excellent. But no, the idea that Sims is like some secret rebel agent in the heart of the, the janitors. No, I just don't. I just don't buy that um, at this point. Yeah. He's definitely the bad guy. Yeah. Okay. And and about the tunnels in the down deep, um, I do think that those tunnels go to the mines uh, because that secret digger room, it's like behind the sign that says it's a hole in the wall and a sign over it says do not enter. So I, I need to know the story there. Like, how did the hole get in the wall? And then somebody just put a sign on it and thought, like, that'll solve the problem. Who, <laughs> who did that? <laughs> Every, everybody will read the sign and, and just turn around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you do have to move the sign to see the hole. So, um, yeah. But the sign also alerts. I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea that there could be, there could be more than one silo. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure whether I believe that, but I, I certainly wouldn't be shocked if that turned out to be the case. Yeah. What do you think? Um, would, why do you think that would be? What, what do you think uh, would be the thinking behind that or the reality? A, because I don't, like if you could save 10,000 people, why couldn't you save 20? If this, if this disaster um, that befell the surface is real, mm-hmm. why could you only save 10,000 people? Okay. If you, can build, if you can build one silo, why can't you build two? Right. Why can't you build three? Okay. Why do you think they would, uh, if that's the case, why do you think they would keep it a secret? That's the part where that theory falls down. Maybe at the beginning they didn't keep it a secret, okay. or maybe maybe this is the last surviving silo, but there were more originally. Maybe the rebels won in the other silos, um, and that's why they cut off communication. Oh, okay. So you think like rebels and other silos, like the same thing might have happened there, and they cut off communication with this silo because it yeah. because the oppressors won or whatever. 
Yeah, exactly. Or no, I'm thinking this silo cut off communication with the others oh. because the oh, oppressors. Oh, I see. Because the oppressors won. So yeah. you, you think that if there are other silos, there might be just like they might be living happily rebel led, and they know about the yeah. silo, or Ex- exactly the silo that we're that we're um we're experiencing could be like the equivalent of the first order, and like everybody else could be living like happily in the the, the silo version of the Galactic Republic. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and then next up we have Avi at S Z E G F U underscore. And she says, very heartbroken for all the people whose very existence as functioning thinking human beings is trampled on by these jackboots and their bosses. Feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy that the very thing that they are trying to avoid with doing all the murders and terrorizing and out in the open repression is what they are definitely brewing now rebellion excited and a bit baffled again on where they might take the story next that ending had my head spinning uh yeah so it does feel like they cause the very thing they're trying to avoid by exerting too much control we've kind of talked about this yeah and i mean that happens so often in politics hell that happens so often in life right that you're trying so hard to avoid a particular thing that you actually bring it about like inflation Uh, yeah yeah it's true human psychology we we tend to panic and make things worse we do yeah there's a great line in men in black that i sometimes quote to my students um a person is smart people are dumb panicky animals <laughs> not wrong um all right next up is Stu at doove 71 yeah he says picking up on luke's thread from the last pod about sims not being the big bad as he seemed to be highly on edge Made me think of Cassian, uh, he's referring to the show Andor, made me think of Cassian saying to Kino Loy how the Imperials are afraid of the power the prisoners have. Once you know the worst that can happen, a key element of control is lost. Wonder if that's playing into Sim's demeanor. Well, it's a closed society, and we know that judicials and probably the janitors to some extent's mission is to keep order in the silo. So it would kind of make sense that there would be a fear of civil unrest, which links to something I said earlier to you about quite an over display from Sims sending the goon squad in in full riot gear. If we accept the rebellion was real, there would be history of how destructive civil unrest was in the silo and therefore a fear of it ever happening again. If Sims looks to pin something on Juliet, I wonder how mechanical and the rest down below would take it. Um, so, yeah, we, of course, now know that Sims does report to someone, Bernard. But do you think the fear of below could also explain the tension he's been showing? Uh, you've talked about maybe being a fear of someone above him, but do you think it could be the fear of the masses? Yeah, I think there might be something to that. But the one thing I would say against that is, I think Sims is of the mindset that if he needed to shoot a thousand people to protect the other nine thousand people in the silo, He'd be okay with that. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I think he is afraid of civil disorder, but I also think he would be confident in his ability to ride it out and and come out the other side of it. I took the on-edgeness from the previous episode and indeed this episode of I am afraid not just of the, the consequences of the silo, but I'm afraid of the personal consequences to me and my family. And I, I don't know whether Sims does actually report to Bernard. I'm not sure Bernard... I took it actually more that they were working together, that that's more of a partnership of equals. Oh, really? Than, okay. Than that Sims um, reports to Bernard. Okay, okay. I guess we yeah. shall see. 
Um, Stu goes on to say, wow, what an episode this time, though. This was cooking. Shady Bernard has shown his true face as the leader of the shadow government. I love how Sims and others constantly underestimate Juliet. Just like her mom, she isn't afraid to cross lines. Impressed with her quick thinking at the end, I think she was giving cover to Billings. Did the rebellion start in mechanical? Uh, clocked the revenge comment in the conversation with Martha and Shirley. The silo is definitely not going to like the sheriff being hauled up and beaten by judicial, especially down a mechanical racing up into the last two episodes. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I still go with my theory that mechanical is like the silo version of Australia. Yeah, okay. Um, and, and that the original rebels were, were sent there. Um, I could easily see it being the the birthplace of another of another revolt of another rebellion. And bear in mind, like the people in mechanical would probably have the easiest access to weapons because they've got a lot of tools that are you know sharp and heavy. Yeah. Um, so they could arm themselves relatively easily because it's that's always one of the major choke points of how you turn um, discontent and protest into a rebellion, into an insurrection, is can you actually get your hands on weaponry? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, the one thing I noticed, as I said, is that this episode does seem to be setting up that, like, half of the silo is kind of blaming Juliet for things, like that guy at the checkpoint and Mrs. Billings. Uh, but, of course, others, especially mechanical, definitely aren't going to stand for one of their own getting taken out over some bullshit. So, yeah, definite dangerous tension arising indeed. All right, moving on to our Reddit feedback. Um, first up, we have Daniel Brusea, and he says, The reconciliation between Jules and her dad had me in tears. That ending got me jaw-dropped and shook. I am still on the edge of my seat. That Bernard reveal left me gobsmacked. I think Lucas might help, but will also end up paying for it. I think Billings is going to give up his religious following of the pact and judicial now that he's seen what they're capable of. Do you think Lucas will help? And do you think Billings will break with the pact? Um, I think Lucas will help um, because I think he just needed some time to sort of wrap his head around the situation, given all the new information yeah. um, Juliet was bombarding him with. Um, Billings might um, might turn his back on judicial. I don't think he'll turn his back on the pact because, like I've said before, I think his his loyalty is to the idea of the pact, right. to the spirit of the pact, not necessarily just literally following the text. Okay. Uh, judicial has driven a coach and horses through the pact, um, not once but twice this episode. Yeah. Doing the illegal search. And, you know, basically ignoring Juliet when she said she didn't say she wanted to go outside. Right. So I don't think you can treat any loyalty Billings has to judicial and loyal the loyalty he has to the pact as being synonymous with each other at this point. Right. Yeah. And uh, an auto driver adds, the episode description for episode nine leads me to think Billings is going to be doing some truth seeking of his own for sure. Given the fact he might be ousted from the sheriff's office for having the syndrome after his tremor allowed Juliet to flee, he might very well help her to escape or pick up the torch when she's gone. Um, so the description for episode nine reads, Racked with guilt, Billings sets off on a personal mission only to discover a mind-blowing clue from Juliet. So what do you think Billings' personal mission is going to be? And what about the mind-blowing clue from Juliet? The personal mission, I think he's going to pick up the baton of the investigation into Marnes and Mayor Johns' murder and what was going on with George Wilkins. 
I mean, the clue is either the hard drive, which is unlikely because Juliet probably has that with her. So I'm thinking the the Georgia book probably. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah, maybe maybe she did leave it for him somewhere. Maybe that's where she left it. I don't know. Yeah. In his yeah. desk or something. Who knows? Well, no, they would have yeah. found it there, but somewhere for him. Because I mean, Juliet knows that Holston left her clues, right. so it would make so it would make sense that Juliet was continuing to leave breadcrumbs for anybody that might follow her. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So MJ Flight 98 says, Dr. Nichols referred to Jules as a runaway in his email to Martha. I thought he might still be snitching and Martha's on the cover up. Why was she about to leave before someone showed up? She was definitely scared for herself before she acted concerned for Jules. Um, now, I have to disagree with this one because I think that uh, Dr. Nichols, he called her Jules um, runaway so that Martha would know who he meant without having to say her name since Martha once contacted him about the same runaway 20 years ago. But like I said, I don't think that'd be a tough code for judicial to crack. And yeah, I read that scene as, you know, Martha being scared for Jules, like genuinely scared, almost enough to overcome her crippling fear, you know, generated by her agoraphobia. Uh, but yeah, Shirley just happened to come by in the nick of time. What do you think? Yeah, I read that scene exactly the same way you did, yeah. uh, Alicia. So, yeah, I mean, maybe we read it wrong, but I don't think so. No. Um, I want to say Mason says, I just want to say I miss Will Patton being in this. R.I.P. Marnes. So I know <laughs> you agree. Um, yeah, definitely. Anything can be improved with yeah. the addition of Will Patton. And they say, I'm most sad about Marnes and Allison for sure. I'm a little worried about Pete now that he's back in Juliet's good graces. It would be a devastating time for something to happen to him. And it looks like our girl Juliet is going outside. They keep reminding us about the heat tape. Wonder what's up there. Also, what if the next episode started with a wide shot of Juliet jumping from the stairwell to reveal they were only like two levels from the bottom? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think we can safely say that Juliet's in the mids when they jump uh, because she's, you know, above the that checkpoint that was blocking her. Though I, I think being two levels from the bottom would be a kind of funny, but ultimately unsatisfying twist. I'm just thinking this is going to be like a Luke Skywalker Cloud City thing where you fall into an abyss and, oh, look, there's just a convenient chute that you can fall there, yeah. that you can fall into. Um, yeah, I mean, the one thing I'd say in answer to that feedback is I was pretty sure Dr. Nichols was not going to make it to the end of this episode. Yeah. And he did. But I agree. Again, it would be like if Juliet has escaped or if Juliet's hiding out, then Yes, Dr. Nichols has surely got to be one of the first people that, that Judicial go and talk to. Although I, um, my confidence in Judicial's ability to put one foot in front of the other has been severely dented by this episode. <laughs> um, so who knows? Hmm. Yeah. Um, and what are your thoughts about the tape question? And do you think Jules will really be sent outside if she's caught? Oh, I think, she'll, I think the Bernard and Sims will by hook or by crook, find one way to send her outside if she's caught because they simply need to get rid of her now. Mm -hmm. um, she's too dangerous to be left alive under any circumstances. Um, I just think the heat tape keeps getting bought up because ultimately Bernard is a very small and petty man. <laughs> um, I don't think there is anything in it beyond that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so White Paper Bag says, very happy with the reveal. Bernard, of course. Uh, Even as a book reader who knows what happens, these cliffhangers are killing me, and especially knowing it's going to happen again and again the next two weeks. Crying emoji. 
Bernard's reveal was well executed, and I enjoyed this long game of is he or isn't he, rather than the mustache-twirling evil Bernard from the get-go in the books. Um, I don't know what the general viewer's feelings about Bernard were, but even I was starting to trust him, and I knew already. I was really hoping we would get the Lucas Jules hacker team duo this episode, but I guess I'm really holding out for episode 9 instead. Also, if Lucas wasn't scared of Juliet yet, I wonder what seeing her rip a mounted camera out of a wall did. <laughs> um, <laughs> Juliet and her father's scene was actually really sweet, and I think I finally appreciated Ian Glenn's screen time the most this episode compared to his previous appearances. I haven't seen him in anything else, but I wasn't super impressed, but also wasn't super bothered with his performance before this. And finally, poor Paul. His mental string is either about to snap or already has after the events that took place. Taken advantage of on all fronts, and with his sickness getting worse, he can't catch a break. I wonder if Sims is going to call out that moment during a confrontation. So much to say and think about, but I'm beyond excited for this next run of episodes. So, yeah, I was also hoping for the hacker team duo. Um, do you think it's still possible we'll get that next week? Or do you think she'll be able to make her way to Martha and get her hard drive help there? No, I'm I'm almost convinced that it's going to have to be Lucas. Because if it wasn't, why go to the trouble of, like, telling us, literally out and out telling us, that, oh, by the way, I happen to work for IT. Yeah. As if that information isn't going to be useful. I Something did just occur to me, like, how did Juliet not, like absolutely shatter her hand putting it through that mirror like how did she not like cut her hand to yeah i mean yeah like i wouldn't that. think she would shatter it but i would think she... did she punch with the blanket around her fist i'm not really sure because she pulled the blanket okay. off the mirror first so um maybe she okay yeah, I, I i would have to go back and double check that okay anyway yeah. it d- doesn't really matter yeah um i don't know i mean i guess as far as lucas they could be they could have just been setting it up for him to feel guilty, you know, and they they told us the IT thing because this gave Juliet an excuse to go to him and, you know, uh, him a chance to let her down. Um, I don't know. No, I, I think we're getting a Lucas Juliet hacker team either next episode or in episode 10. Okay. All right. Fingers crossed. Um, switching over to the Discord, this is the Lorehounds Discord server where we talk about Silo and other popular and especially genre shows and books. Link in the show notes. Uh, So, from Scribe Jack. Sims keeping Glory alive makes a lot more sense now. It's also a great example of the show being able to pay something off. Sims' scenes with his son during the blackout, without it necessarily having to be a major plot focus. So few shows give that kind of attention to the little mysteries. Honestly, don't know how I feel about the Bernard reveal. I think I had convinced myself it was too obvious, so when it happened, it felt like a step backwards. Also, as a general rule, I don't like the shift the camera and okay, now my voice and face are different, proving I was evil all along reveal trope. Um, Yeah, I don't know. The Bernard reveal really worked for me, like I said, with the facial expression shift. You? Yeah, no, it it really worked. And I I love the fact that this has been so well done and so well written that even book readers like yourself, Alicia, kind of didn't see it coming, even though you did see it coming. I mean, I mean, I knew for sure that it was coming, but I've actually, I'll admit now that I've spent like the past several weeks arguing with people in book reader only chat rooms that I'm like, no, seriously, Bernard's going to be the big reveal. Everybody calm down. <laughs> and also like, well done on doing that in um, episode eight and not again. I think Silo is really good at not leaving these reveals too long, not playing, you know, not playing them past the point at which 
the reveal isn't satisfying. Because again, in a parallel universe, it would be really easy to see how that heel turn from Bernard would be the would be the the cliffhanger you end episode ten with. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I think this is. I think people have talked about the pacing of this. I think in one respect, the pacing has been um exceptionally good, and that's they don't overcook their mysteries. Yeah. You know, they they don't leave it too long right. between setup and payoff. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's true. Um. Next up is skip intro. Really good episode this week. I love the way the show resolves mysteries. I was really touched. So just as you were saying, no, <laughs> I was really touched by Jules and her dad reconnecting. Really sold the fact that surveillance and rumor spreading can create such paranoia that it destroys relationships and ultimately can destroy lives. Poor Jules. 20 odd years of bitterness towards her daddy for no good reason and his own guilt and grief stopping him confronting it. Plus, of course, a shit ton of stares. Yeah, and a show full of tragedies, 20 years wasted blaming your father or yourself is definitely one of them. Though, I have to say, the, I was reminded by the reading earlier, the 50 years Johns and Marnes spent pining for each other to only get one night together, maybe that hurts me even more. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that whatever happens next for these characters, I'm glad that at least Jules and her dad got that reconciliation moment. I was looking forward to that. Yes, it was nice. It went like... Like you say, whatever whatever happens to Daddy Doctor Nichols now, at least he's had that moment of catharsis. Are you still worried for his life and well being? Well, I wanna say yes, but like I say, I thought I thought he was a goner at the end of the last episode and he's still hanging on in there. So okay. who knows? <laughs> um all right. Uh Rocky Zim says, just watched the episode and enjoyed it. I was able to catch on early that Bernard was the guy in charge, and I like the whole hiding in plain sight thing in shows. The judicial troops are not the best. At the beginning, the two looking in the nursery without going in the room and being satisfied was funny. No chance anyone could be hiding in there. And then it wasn't. It wasn't funny. It was infuriating. <laughs> do 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 your jobs, people. Um. And then Jules is still able to kind of get away in the cornfield. Like, damn, she ran to the one place where you had no troops. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting how she jumped at the end. <laughs> I think she survives the fall. Maybe she learned parkour. And I was not happy Billings left Sims with those other deputies in the police office. Me neither. Of course, Sims can intimidate or get them to release him somehow, even though Bernard probably got him out. I did not think Bernard and Sims were working together, but makes sense that Bernard is in charge, at least from what it looks like now. I was kind of hoping Mechanical would stage an ambush and come rescue Jules from the prison cell if they put her in there. That would have been fun. So, yeah, what do you think? Do you think an ambush for Mechanical is still in the works? Maybe, but, like, Mechanical has got to go a long way before he gets into a position to, to be able to execute an ambush. Yeah, I, yeah they I, have I a, lot of, a lot of people potentially fighting against them on the way up. Or not, I don't know. Which... Or not. But, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think, like, we need to put a map of the silo in the show notes sometimes because I think sometimes people forget just the distances involved right. between mechan- mechanical and the cell that Juliet would be in. So, so yeah. Um, it would be a, would be a long, it, slow uh, charge up the stairs. I Yeah, I think I think it would be cool, but perhaps a little bit impractical. Yeah. yeah um, and then, yeah, so Rocky continues. Powerful scene with her father when they reconciled. I liked that part, and it made more sense. I still don't like that he left her in mechanical. 
he could have visited or or did something to keep the connection, even if Jules still hated him. But glad they got to talk and understand each other. Uh, are you surprised that Dr. Daddy didn't ever visit his daughter in the Down Deep? I would like to think he sent her a birthday card or a Christmas card or a pres- the occasional present. I can imagine. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with Rocky. I, I think that scene explains why Dr. Nichols did what he did, but I don't think it completely absolves him. Yeah. Um, and I think he's also he's also leaving out the fact that him not having to see Juliet probably helped him bury his own pain as well. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I think this has to do with that, like pulling into himself as a way to deal with grief thing. He talked about this episode. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for the feedback channel this week. Uh, If you'd like your feedback discussed in the next episode breakdown, I'll pin a tweet to my Twitter profile and post on the Silo series subreddit to collect feedback. And of course, you can always find me on the Lorehounds Discord. Please get your feedback to us by Sunday to be included in next week's recording. Luke, any final thoughts on Hannah? Uh, Yeah, judicial need to hire Mm -hmm. a better class of goon. And final predictions for next week? Uh, Well, I think Juliet survives the fall. I I don't know how. Um, I think we will see Juliet and Lucas team up. Okay. Um, I think we will see sort of public order in the silo continue to deteriorate. And I think Sims is going to respond to that by lashing out. Okay. Um, so I think things generally in the silo are building towards a climax. It's whether it's how Bernard and Sims react to that i think is going to be the interesting okay point all right well on that note wool shift dust is a member of the lorehounds network publishers of this podcast a channel full of content just like this talking about other books and shows and even games uh, watch out for episodes on everything from star wars fallen order to one piece and yeah to our upcoming weekly coverage of secret invasion the new marvel show starting this week on disney plus co-hosted by yours truly As for Wool Shift Dust, Luke and I will be back next week to discuss episode nine, The Getaway. Whatever that title and the billing-centric description means, we'll be back to break it all down. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen and it'll pop right up in your feed when it's ready. Five-star ratings also really help us to get more audience and thus more advertisers, which we can invest back into the podcast. Telling your friends to watch and listen is even better. Um, Luke, where can people find you in the meantime? So they can find me at at Luke Mid upon Twitter. And also, if you want my unfiltered first impression of each episode, please come along to the Discord on Friday afternoons UK time. All right. And uh, yeah, you can also find me there, of course. And also on Twitter at Alicia CB. You'll find both of those handles in the show notes as well. And we'll see you next week on Wool Shift Dust, where we not only go off the rails, but we go over the rails. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.